Hello, Trombone Internet. This is Chris Van Hoff, assistant to the regional manager of the International Trombone Festival. We at the festival, of course, are huge fans of the pod, and we are really excited to invite you to attend this year's 2024 International Trombone Festival at TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. Dave Begnosh is our host. We have the world premiere of a brand new double concerto for trombone and piano with the Fort Worth Symphony. We have the American Brass Quintet. We have late night jazz featuring a Latin jam session. Like everything is happening, all the cast will be there. It's the best hang in the world, and we hope to see you there. You can register for the festival still online at www.internationaltrombonefestival.com, and it's happening the last week of May. So go register. We'll see you in Texas. Welcome to the Trombone Retreat, podcast of the Third Coast Trombone Retreat. Today on the podcast, we hang out with Damien Austin, principal trombonist of the Metropolitan Opera. My name is Sebastian Vera, and I'm joined as always by the Grand Marshal of my Thanksgiving Day Parade, Nick Schwartz. (laughs) (laughs) Nicholas, what are you thankful for? Man, I got to tell you, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for my incredible loving and understanding wife um, oh Danielle is gonna hate me now because you, you said me before her it, it, this is stream of consciousness because as you should know the listener this was laid upon me totally without warning so I have no idea what Sebastian's gonna say at the beginning of every episode and you know there's a lot to be really not happy about right now but I'm thankful for a lot of things what about you Sebastian what are you thankful for that's a lot of awesome things I mean, obviously, this is a very unique Thanksgiving because everyone's going through so much. And, you know, this is going to be one of my first Thanksgivings ever where I'm not home with my family, who I miss very much, but, you know, had to cancel for reasons I'm sure many people are canceling their trips home. But, you know, obviously, the big one for me is is I'm just really grateful that I'm healthy and that injury I had with my concussion could have been so much worse. And I really lucked out. And really, thanks to everyone who reached out, I'm feeling so much better. I even got a brain scan. I'm part of this study. So like this, I had this follow-up MRI. And since I'm in the study, it's with like the head doctor of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm in this big study to try to understand concussions more quickly by looking at the blood, blah, blah. blah. The head brain researcher looked at, looks at my MRI, comes in and tells me I have a beautiful brain and mm-hmm. in the ideal brain. And if he could use it as an example to teach people, he would. And my self-esteem and ego just shot through the roof. And I think honestly, it was already at the roof. I mean, like and it just took that little extra inch to get through the roof. It was not close to the roof after that <laughs> concussion. But honestly, I, I, I asked him, like, do you? do you think music, I mean, that has to have something to do with music, how active everything looks. And he's like, oh, that, he found that really fascinating. He's like, that that would make a lot of sense why a lot of pathways were started. Anyways, I'm not saying that to to humble brag, maybe a little bit, but that that made me feel so much better. Other, other things to be thankful for, we kind of have big news. We had this idea to do a live podcast at the International Trombone Festival. We've always wanted to do one live and, and see people in person, and we think it'd be a lot of fun. And we thought to do something live, we got to go big and ask for a big guest. We asked Mr. Joseph Alessi, and he kindly agreed. And the ITF kindly agreed. And so we our proposal was accepted. So we will be giving a live... Uh-oh, here it comes. 
We'll be giving a live podcast interview with the Joseph Alessi at the next International Trombone Festival in Columbus, Georgia. So Yeah, and, and j- just today, it reminded me of my time in school. I got an email from Joe, not just me, but a group of Juilliard alumni, and he had gone through old pictures and found pictures of his studios from you know from over the years and it was really a walk down memory lane to see all these old pictures and including me and a lot of them not including myself but uh it, it was cool to see like these people who are now off doing amazing things hashtag nostalgia uh, <laughs> hashtag nostalgia <laughs> If you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find us. We're we're everywhere. It gives you a nice little notification. We had, man, this Damian Austin experience was an experience. He's going through a lot right now. The Mets going through a lot right now. He's having a tough time, and he was incredibly honest with us. And he doesn't hold anything back. And he, you just kind of got to strap in and. He's he's one of the wittiest, most direct people we've interviewed, and just he's just talking, leaving gold every every everything he's talking about. Yeah, we'll we'll cover a lot more about Damien and his his total awesomeness in the outro. And the sound quality, it's it's pretty good. Had to do some editing on on his sound quality because apparently he used a microphone from the 1950s, but. Well, it, it, it wasn't chair ever. It wasn't a good microphone from the 1950s. It was like something that you'd use to attach on top of a projector to capture war-torn Poland. That, that's kind of that's kind of what was going on with the, the Damien mic, and I'm sure you'll love to hear that. I'm sure I'm going to hear a lot about this. I but, always bring projector mics to to battlefields in Poland. Right. Um, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Houghton Horns. Houghton Horns deals Shires, Bach, Yamaha, Courtois, Greg Black mouthpieces, and is the exclusive U.S. dealer for Tyne Instruments, as well as vintage and consignment trombones. Houghton Horns has newly expanded policies that make it easier to purchase and test drive the best equipment during a time when safety and staying home are top priorities. There's a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping on all new instruments and accessories, with multiple easy financing options on all inventory terms and conditions apply. Enjoy free in-person virtual equipment consultations with their team of professional musicians. Visit their website for exclusive Black Friday deals now through November 30th, including $500 off new instruments and $100 off pre-owned instruments at HoutonHorns.com. Enjoy the Damien Austin experience. That's the most well-lit I've ever seen. This looks great. See what I mean, Nick? See, you did, you did the right thing. I just wanted to shine off your bald spot, Damien. <laughs> yeah, you could, I think, see, I'm facing south, but I think everybody in the building back there can probably see this shine off my bald spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Damien? Uh, I'm not going to say good. That's what you're after. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want that. I want the honesty. It's terrible. This is a terrible, uh, on countless levels well tell us some of the levels well i don't want to get into the work situation too much but you know that's been devastating we're going on seven months now seven months of no salary that's true and not much playing for anybody but you know but but seven months with nothing um and it's scary getting scarier and it's it sort of 
get over, you, you think you're getting over the shock of it, and then another wave of it comes in. You think, oh my god, this really is happening. You just it doesn't quite it doesn't quite hit home. Not it doesn't you know it just doesn't quite get there for some reason. And then the days are flying by, which is weird because they're all the same. So the time flies, and then you're still trying to figure out what's going on. And the next thing you know, it's been another month, and there's still nothing happening. Same for everybody except that it's like all of us in the performing arts. We're we're stuck. You know, either somebody comes to help or or you know let it run its course until we can get back. But um, yeah, it's a lot of big. Nobody likes living with big question marks over their head. You know, and we all are. It's hard. Yeah, that's the truth. Um, right, especially when you when you think, you know, you you win your job and you, you feel like, especially as an artist, you're used to instability in a way and. and Winning some sort of consistent position within the arts is so rare, and when you finally get it, it's it's such a uh, okay. <laughs> I can finally do what I love and not have to worry about making a living. And, and then you get used to it, and then you do, something, you do, and you a big curveball comes around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another part. That's a part of the conversation for later. <laughs> what you just said. Yeah, uh, you get used to it, and you do what you love. But we can get into that later. <laughs> no, I'd love to. <laughs> um, but it is true. I mean, I was that was my twenty seventh season. I was about to start my twenty. I was about to start my twenty seventh season, and it just the rug just pulled out. Like just, and, and that's the thing. Also, when you do something, anything you do that long, you get it's not so much. I mean, you do get used to it. You get to, used to the routine, and but then when something changes, it's it's really. I, I just don't think you can really get your feet on the ground quite. I don't think. I think it's normal. Everybody's go, that's going through it feels. It's just everything's very very unreal because it's just everything's been taken away which is what you hear about you know when people get laid off of work or you know any in any job it's just you know but this is it's particularly bad one because there's no you, can't, you have a skill and it's very spe- specific and you can't do it anywhere <laughs> yeah it's not like hey why don't you guys just get a get a real job it's like you know that's nice of you to say but um <laughs> but first of all i'm not oh, i never old. thought about that <laughs> yeah, yeah not qualified to do much of anything and, you know, it's, it's like how many people that do something so specialized would immediately just say, well, you know, I'll just get another job and do a new thing and I'll work at the grocery store. It's fine. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I'll just change everything and make less money and not get depressed somehow. <laughs> I mean, anyway. You so. know, it's funny. I think that athletes go through this all the time, but the big difference is they make a ton of money that they can live the rest of their life on. Uh, I think yeah. that's the thing. I think that's why these the, the orchestra jobs used to, and 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 why the the locals also there was there were pension plans. You know, this idea that you could do this forever at the highest possible level is kind of you know it's it's unrealistic for a lot of people. So you don't want you know you you should be thinking a lot like an athlete. That's a major part of it. So when you get a contract and these things like look, I'm already now look at me. I'm already into it. When they say you're overpaid, you know, you say you say well. First of all, where did you, based on what? Yeah. Um, and then secondly, you say, um, okay, how long do you think I can do this? You know, and, and how long should somebody do it? And do you want an orchestra with people struggling ever, especially, you know, way late in life? And we've all been in places where that happens and you can't blame anybody. But it's so much more like, it's so much more physical. So the idea is you are, you should be paid a pretty good chunk of money. You should be responsible because you never know when it's going to stop working. You know, or something—you get an injury or whatever, and you're out just like an athlete. And so these, uh, you know, these pension funds were designed to say, "Look, 
going to be okay. Uh, we all understand you that you have one skill that nobody cares about, and, and we <laughs> want to protect you. <laughs> Welcome to the darkest podcast on trombone. <laughs> no, I mean, it's real, and it's, it's what a lot of people are experiencing on varying levels right now. And it's tough. I mean, and it's good to hear from someone like you that is going through it in, in one of the most prestigious institutions and to see the height of what some of these things are, are happening. So, so how are you outside of negotiations? How, how are you spending your time right now? You're the first two people I've seen in seven months. Well, it's good to see you. Really good. To and see I actually you. saw you in person last month. We were, we met up in uh, Riverside park. No, I know. I do. I vaguely remember that. No, I remember. It was a highlight of life. It it was pretty close. I think it's been, it's like, well, what I've been doing is obviously I'm I'm on the committee, so I'm on that bit of business. That's regular. But um, what happened was there was this uh, understanding that I don't, I'm not going to get too into this because it's a long, difficult, convoluted story, but we have, we have a nonprofit for our orchestra. 501c3 and people were saying let's let's just raise money for ourselves and we'll put on our own concerts we'll see how this goes we'll we'll give people to they need money we'll figure it all out and structurally we had a lot of issues that have that are still that are almost resolved finally but it's been a really really long difficult story it's basically starting a business from and understanding it and learning that's so that's been my job um trying to set that up and we still haven't done a whole lot with it because we have a lot of made amendments to, to expand what we can do. And we're waiting for the attorney general to look at the paperwork and say, go. And then we're, you know, we're set free. But that's been six months of like, I can't, I mean, anywhere between four and eight, 10 hours a day meetings, and like trying to do research and learn about it, which is fine. It's good. It's good work, you know, and it's really, but it's, but it has been all consuming and very have, stressful. Have you thought about getting out of the city at all? Or are you, are you, pretty yeah, my, my dad, yeah, my dad lives upstate. Um, they, he, he moved, they, my parents moved up there um, five years ago and it's a nice place. Obviously we went there as, fa- as soon as we possibly could. We went, we, I think we ended up, we were able to finally get up in June, stayed most of the summer. It was nice, very nice. But it, again, it was like, I was on the computer and in meetings and zoom meetings all, all day. Just, it was so strange. I've never seen time fly like this. It's been tough, uh, and then I so every now and then I wake up and I snap it out of it, and I think, oh, it's still going on. <laughs> it's weird. It's like it's like a combination of of time moving really quickly and also really slowly. Mm, yeah, time. yeah, there is a lot. It's just yeah, in the monotony sometimes, even though even with stress, it just feels like oh, this again, this stressful thing again. And he's always just I'm so tired of being stressed. This is I'm almost bored with it. Yeah, it's been it's been, there's been a lot of that every day well you're you're on the trombone retreat now and, and yeah it's our job <laughs> as not real therapists so we're just oh. going to talk about it okay get everything out have you tried yeah. the schwartz therapy which is you drink whiskey you just stuff it down with some brown mm-hmm. that's a beautiful poem <laughs> i think you should probably uh work on it a little bit more before you broadcast that it's just it's just <laughs> the first <laughs> no, you just stuff it down with some brown that's all you need to know uh yeah the dr seuss drinking method (laughs) so okay so you were born in kentucky but raised in the bay area is this correct well yeah basically wow you're going way back oh Um, yeah yeah i uh family was um was around cincinnati ohio on both sides so i was on the on the kentucky side 
born in Covington, but raised in that greater Cincinnati area. Um, but when we hit, when I hit eight years old, is we all kept visiting California, San Francisco, over and over, and eventually we big, made the big move. A lot of different reasons. Went back for the family. Left because of the family. It's a big. That's one way to put it. Um, yeah. So I uh, went back to San Francisco and then it's there all the way up till I went to Oberlin. Um, yeah. You left your you left your Kentucky accent there. I I never had it, but man, if I want it, it's right there. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It is the most, and sometimes I think, what, what is that? I think that might be the real me. As oh. Paul Paul Pollard, I, I've I've gone into the Southern accent, and he used to he used to glare at me, thinking I was teasing him. I'd say, you know, it's really not that. I like it. <laughs> it's I it might really be me. I'll never know for sure. <laughs> after a few drinks, it comes out, <laughs> or after a long opera. <laughs> So I see that you started on piano at a young age and trumpet at a young age. Did and, research. You know, Nick, he did research. Do you he all, do he, he's our research guy, resident researcher. Someone's got to do it. I'm scared that you were able to find anything about me, but co- please go on. So, I mean, yeah. you obviously came to music at a young age. Were your, were your parents musicians? Were they encouraging it? or my, kind of... the weird, There's only one that I know of, my, and it is kind of strange, my great-grandmother on my father's side. Actually, I think that's right. Great grandmother, great great, uh, actually got into Juilliard on piano, which I wow. I often forget about because she didn't she wasn't able to pursue it. But other than that, in terms of classical music, there's there was nothing. Um, my dad played you know folk guitar and, and stuff like that and self taught. But there's no there was no anybody no formal training. Uh, I, I taught I played piano. My parents were nice enough. They didn't like it. Nobody likes it when they're doing it really. But um, that's probably the best, that was the best gift you could give a kid is forcing them to do that. Even if it's casual, just like you get it, you get it in the head early. So when I was five, I started playing piano. Um, and then like in, through junior high school, at some point something clicked and I started to think, you know, I like this Bach. I like Bach. I'll play some Bach. And that was, that's a major breakthrough when the kid, you know, that young says that they like almost anything. Like I've got a couple kids that is, um, and it's very exciting. It's something because you wonder where, how did that happen? Where, where, where are the influences? How did that happen? And in my case, I, I couldn't really tell you. We didn't play classical music around the house. It was all you know, '60s and pop and, and rock and '80s music too. That's my my generation. But that was the best thing they could have done. And then I just started wanting to do music. I just fell in love with it. Vague sense that that's what I wanted to do. Um, the, I, I, there's a one part of the story that's not in there that that is I would have to say is also something worth sharing is. Junior high school, it's the 80s, it's Reagan-era stuff. And it's, it, I was the very, probably the very end of when the public schools still ha- were able to have all, all of them. It's junior high school, too. Full orchestra, full band, jazz band. And in the middle of this building, there was a s- separate room where you were allowed to take lessons with an artist in residence who was there all day. I mean, and it's just, wow. it was, yeah, like that. And so those, all those programs got cut. Um, but thank God they got cut and they put the money into sports because anyway, because <laughs> um, a lot of, you know, it's, it was really helpful for a lot of uh, kids that, uh, you know, but I was really, 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 really lucky because there was a, the artist in residence was this man named Ron Madden. And he was kind of a saint uh, in, at the time. He was sort of revered and continued to be revered. He changed a lot of people's lives. He was the like extremely giving, very funny, very supportive. Um, he wrote arrangements, did his original music with the jazz band, was extremely patient. And, and I, there's no way I would be playing if it weren't for him because I was on trumpet. I switched, I said, I went to euphonium because I kept, was trying to find the easiest instrument I could find. 
and then decided that the trombone looked fun. And that's how that happened. He said, okay, you want to switch? If you really want to switch, you're going to be with me every two days, and we're going to go through scales every day. And you're going to just, like, here are your wow. routines. Here are the lip slurs. I need you to do this every day. And it was, I was you know, sixth grade, seventh, sixth grade. I didn't know what he was doing. I just did it more than, you know. And then he introduced me to Don Canelli, who was my teacher. He's, you know, second trombone in the opera, San Francisco Opera. And again, I didn't understand who I was studying with. But that is the man, those two people, like Don Canelli taught me how to sing into the instrument, no matter what I was playing. And I didn't know he was doing that to me, but he was doing it. And in the meantime, I'm taking piano lessons with the guy who's in the chorus from the, in the San Francisco. He's a pianist and he played, he sang the chorus. So I'm getting all this influence all the time. Anyway, that's the high school We're, business. No, I, because no I, that's junior high school. Wow, you didn't get to high school. High school is a school of the arts. It's another, you, another you went to soda? kind of a story. Yeah, it was the first year, and it was a mess. And it was like we were thrown into a school that was pretty rough. They planted it into a school that, that you know, it was a, it was a, pro, a pilot program. And, um, you know, I was lucky. I didn't get beat up, but close a couple times. So, no. How long ago? <laughs> Oh my God, 35 years ago. Great. Now I really am going to cry. You guys ruined this for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> we just asked if you went to a school. I know. Don't let me talk. It'll always end in tears. <laughs> That's a good rule, actually. Did you, so you, you had such a, a great foundation with opera, it sounds like. And of course, yeah. you later came to study with Pear. Yeah. Um, and the Met. And, yeah. and did you. Well, I also studied with the great Ray Premier. That was over. No, of and course. that was a and different, different experience. How was that? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear about that first. I, again, like, I, I didn't know what good playing was in high school. I mean, I, I wasn't around a whole bunch of people. It's not like you're in a studio. You know, perspective is, is different out there. West Coast is a little different, too. So I was in youth orchestra for one year, and I, you know, I got, I was getting, I knew, I, I was playing all kinds of stuff, but it's nice when you don't know, first of all, how good you are or what, what, what's hard. You just play, you know, and you don't realize what you're doing sometimes. That was a big part of it. So I auditioned to, I had six backup schools, and, and then I just auditioned everywhere. I didn't audition. I had to play the audition in San Francisco because we didn't, we weren't about to pay money to send me out to audition. There was no money. So Curtis and Juilliard was out, they were out. Um, but, you know, Northwestern, and I think I, Boston and Oberlin and, and a bunch of just 12 different schools. And I got in everywhere except for one, which was Eastman, because the audition setup, and that's was a good experience, because the audition setup was so poor, there was no warming up, and it was, okay, you're next. And it threw me so bad. So now when I talk to high school students about preparation, I always bring that up, and I'll say, if this ever happens to you, you say, I'm not ready, I need to warm up, this is important to me. You just leave. <laughs> and you come back when you're ready, because if you're not going to be heard at your best, or close to it, you, you just tell them. Like, hey, that's not right. This is the next four years of my life now, not to mention the un unbelievable tuition, and you've got to make it happen in 15 minutes, and they say, go, now, go, no, this is our time. That should never happen. Now, I'm not saying that happens at Eastman, but it has nothing to do with Eastman. It's just that time 40 years ago, 30-some years ago. So, But it's a good learning experience because you realize, like, hey, that's you know, you're the one in control here. Um, Damien Austin trashes the Eastman School of Music. <laughs> <laughs> Next on the trombone, they changed podcast. everything because of me. No. You know, Damien, um, that's that's the school I didn't get into either for, in my audition. Is that right? Yeah, and wow, uh, I have a my fa this is my favorite audition story. I'm auditioning at Eastman, and I'm like, I'm not the next one to play, but I'm the one after that. And this guy goes in and plays, and 
his mom is waiting in the hallway and it's this guy you can hear him he's really not a strong player and he comes out and his th- this kid goes to his mom well, well how was it and she goes johnny you sounded terrible <laughs> <laughs> And then oh, I had to go in and play, good. and I was laughing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so uh, that is stuck with me, for, and I probably will forever because it's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I just am saying, not to say that, oh, look at me, I got into every college, but it was the first time I felt like maybe, yeah, I think things are going to be, maybe this is good. Maybe I'm good enough to keep doing this. I hope so. Because I didn't, I didn't really have a whole, I mean, I get encouragement, but he, until I got there, I didn't really have any real perspective. I want to hear the whole, whole Oberlin experience. Like not, how often did you wear shoes? Like that kind of. <laughs> I wanted to go to college, and I did. I wasn't thinking much about the trombone, and I, you know, I, I was playing, but I was sort of gliding through. I did not push very hard, um, and Ray was fine with that. You know, as long as I'd show up and sound pretty and I was practicing. Um, but we didn't do, I'll tell you this, I don't remember doing a single excerpt until the last couple of months, um, wow. which was... It worked out. Let's say, let's say that, you know. Um, but I could have used a little bit of that. But it, that just to give you an idea of how how things were, it was sort of like, you know, I just played music and we just played together some stuff. Um, but you know, playing with somebody with that, like his his sound was re- remarkable. Just to be playing, warming up every every lesson, warmed up a little bit together, and it just it made you play better. And he was just a natural, lyrical, beautiful player. So you it just rubs off on you. So it was a really nice. I'm glad I went there because I. If I had ended up at Juilliard, I probably wouldn't have, I don't think it would have worked out, or, or Curtis. I was just not, I wasn't into it. I wanted to play, but I wanted to be at college. It was a fantastic experience. Best friends, I've still got all these friends from there. I mean, you know, get a girlfriend. Come on. I'm not going to practice all day. I'm busy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring things out. <laughs> I'm always curious when I talk to friends that went to Oberlin, just what that experience is like. Because I mean, you hear oh, all the stereotypes God. of it being like the most like hippie school ever. It is. And... It is so incredibly uh, liberal, and and you are constantly thinking about political issues. You cannot avoid it. it it's it's everywhere. So you know, getting a, the, such a heavy dose of that and feeling at some point thinking I. And maybe I'm being, do I really have to be so PC? Is this terrible? And I I look back and I think, no, it's exactly right. Go as far as you can and be as sensitive as you can and then figure it out later. Because the option, the alternative is what we're seeing now, right? Right. You know, this backlash of being said, like, no, PC is wrong. Political correctness, it was a a term that was just not not proper. Being sensitive to to all kinds of different issues, being open-minded, being, you know, listening, things like that. Like, ugh. That's hippie stuff. That's PC. No, it's just humanity. Give me a break. So, yeah, they went too far, and I continued to stay in touch, and I thought, that's even worse than when I was there. <laughs> you know, so you um, were there during a pretty, like, tumultuous time, kind of not as tumultuous as now, but, I mean, we're, uh, this is probably the Bush. Bush one First Bush and Desert War, Storm. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. A pretty tough time. Yeah, there were, the, there were the murals up, but it was a lot about uh, personal identity issues and cultural issues. And it's good. Everybody should spend a bunch of time thinking about that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because that, I mean, having these experiences, like going to a school and, and you know, getting your heart broken, date, dating girls, whatever, mm-hmm. and, and being around people from a lot of different backgrounds and majors and people studying different things, I mean, it, it contributes to who you are, right? Like, sure. And, and yeah. helps your, your playing, I imagine. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, not having the high stress, but just being able to just find my way with it and play. And, you know, I, I was not irresponsible, too irresponsible with the playing. Um, I was pretty regimented on my own, but I also just, I mean, I just, I honestly, I, I would do, I would heavy duty technique every now and then just because I wanted to, I, you know, I just wanted to play faster or better or clearer or whatever. And I would just do it. You know, but there wasn't a lot of guidance or there was no pressure from Ray ever. It was just, I just was, you know, figuring it out. He just wanted you to play and feel comfortable and be musical. And we talk a lot. So, you know, but mostly what I would play, I just played solos because that's all I wanted to play. I just thought it was fun. I would get bored and I would play every solo I'd get my hands on. And then I went to Aspen my between junior year and senior year and studied with Pear, who was the guy that actually admitted me to Oberlin before he left. Um, so that was a big, I finally got to study with him. And then I was hearing some uh, different kinds of players, and it was a different environment. You know, it's like it was a different level. Uh, some of the players, not nothing. That, there were some great players at Oberlin too, but it was definitely like you're not going to Aspen if you don't want to really play. But getting to study with Pear was a different experience. I mean, one, we were, I was playing. So, hey, you sound yeah, you you're good. That's amazing, man. You sound really fantastic, beautiful. Um, and he was listening, and he said, "Where are you articulating?" And I'd never thought about it in my life. And he and I said, "Yeah." I'm, uh, my lips and he said no man that's not good you should, let's try this try this try this we did some things changed everything switched all kinds of stuff around and I, then i really got more serious and he said you know you gotta you gotta start auditioning you're gonna have to do some excerpts you gotta start working on this stuff and that that's where that was like you know these things in your life with playing you get you to the next level and then to the next level and then to the next level and that was where i thought okay see what has to happen here and let's not forget that at this point i'm now deeply in tens of thousands of debt dollars in debt from college, which also puts should anyway put a, put a real fire under you. It's like, okay, were well, you going to do this or not? <laughs> you really can't be messing around. And then I auditioned for Manus, got into New York, and auditioned to study with Pear for that year, and then auditioned again with Juilliard. It was like trajectory just went really, really quick after that. So I imagine when you're at Oberlin, it didn't seem like you had like tunnel vision of like, I want to do this someday. It was more just being present, like enjoying the instrument. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do with the trombone, or, or is it like what you're saying, like once you got a little more serious in Aspen and Juilliard and Manus? Yeah, you know, I think I, you know, this people. It, it's it's weird to say this out in a podcast or in an interview or publicly because it could sound it could really sound terrible or arrogant. And but anybody who knows me knows that is not me. <laughs> That's not um... especially with playing and being self deprecating. <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly talking about what a great player I am. <laughs> Everybody, no. come hear how great I sound. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I literally, I just, I, I was very, I, it was very natural. I could just say that from the bit, from the very first, back to the first guy that, that I told you, Ron Madden, to Don Canelli, to, to when I got to, to Oberlin, everything. I was just very natural player. I don't know what I was doing. I just could do a lot, really, like pretty easily. I would work hard, but I wasn't think I wasn't really thinking about air. I was not really thinking about where I was articulating. I wasn't thinking about anything. Were you listening a lot? Um, Did you listen a lot? I was. Yeah, you know, back then it was like that. You go to the CD. What trombone CDs are there? There was only one guy, uh, Christian Lindbergh. Right. You know, and that was when CDs. Like I'm old, so that's when you know you could go buy a CD. So I got all the ones that were coming out and listened to them, and 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 I would I tell people to do this all the time. Put the CD on, and play that way. Just do that while you're trying to figure stuff out. Because if you don't copy somebody who's put in all the work 
you're going to try to figure out how to play stuff on your own is, is like, why would you do that? Unless you're some kind of innate genius and, and every piece of music you've heard, you understand instantly somehow without having done all the, like, it's a progression. It's a lot of work. That was the guy. And I just, I played along with it all the time. I just wanted to play. It's like, this is fun. That was it. Oh, that, those, those high notes are real. Oh, let me see if I can figure that out. I'll do it. Oh, I'm a little tired. I'll do it tomorrow. Sound better. It's like really not much to it. But that all changed when I got, finally got into Juilliard. And then I, the real, really the pressure was serious at that point. And then I hurt my lip. So we're almost done. <laughs> we're almost done with the trombone story. That was, the, that was when things were going well, and then I injured myself, and that's where I've been ever since. Was the Met, I can't remember this, was the Met your first audition? No, the first one, that's what did me in. I, I was practicing, and you'll like this, Nick, and anybody who knows me, um, I was told and still am told and have always been told, you need to learn how to play louder. you got to play louder. got to play louder. You know, even when I'm playing loud, it's like, now. sometimes I'll get like, hey, I can finally hear you. Ha, ha, ha. I was just not that, I, I just wasn't interested in playing very loud. I just, it was very difficult. Well, can... I blew downstream, and I didn't know that I was doing it. It was like, I, I think it was Ray, uh, not Ray, uh, Pear. I think he said, you know, buzz, buzz a note. And, and Joe asked me to buzz at my first audition at Juilliard. He said, buzz a note. I'd never buzzed before. And I said, hmm. okay, thank you. And that was it. Didn't get into Juilliard. So but I was, I was buzzing like straight downstream oh. all the time. And so I couldn't get, I was doing it wrong for, the, for that kind of plan, like to really move a lot of air through. It just was, and it always felt really bad. So then I was starting to figure it out, overdid it, and really, really screwed up my lip. And then I wanted to get the San Francisco job because I wanted to go back to San Francisco. So second trombone opened up and I was, I thought everybody around me seems to be practicing four to six hours a day. I'm, going, I'm doing like an hour and a half, maybe twice a day, sometimes two. And I, so I, I just forced myself to do it. And it was a huge mistake. I really hurt my lip. Never really got over it. Along the same lines as, you know, you would listen to solo CDs or the solo CDs that Christian had out at the time. Were you ever attracted to like loud orchestral brass playing? Yeah, I, I liked, if, if I liked the music, I would listen to it. And there were some brass sections I liked. I mean, I would, the things that I really liked, let's see, I liked listening to the Wagner excerpts. I was a real nerdy kid. We had the Bernstein, Bernstein you know, the record, mm -hmm. um, you know, great performances series and things oh, yeah. like that. And so the things that I liked, I would put on a tape and I'd listen to it. Um, then I think there was one, I really liked the Endemith, those, those San Francisco recordings. Right. My mom worked there for a while, and so she he actually brought some of the recordings home sometimes. So, you know, and I'd go see them because we get uh, tickets. So, yeah, so that, but, but in terms of the brass, like, yeah, I like it. I liked it. But did, did I, did I listen to brass music? Very little. Mm -hmm. It was all kinds of other stuff. And that was uh, that first teacher I had. And it was all this other music that I was listening to. Well, yeah, the, the reason I asked is just because, you know, I think that we tend, not always, I mean, as we get older, I think we mature and hopefully, but we tend to, yeah like to play the music that we listen to right you know and if someone if someone wears out bruckner four with chicago symphony that's going to be their aesthetic right but if you listen to like <laughs> if you listen to like art songs from the 1700s i think that your playing is going to be a little bit different you know what i mean are you suggesting that i listen to too many art songs from the is this your backhanded way of, of making some joke about crack about how i can't play loud because i'm used to this so well, just say it I, Say this it. is really an intervention. I know, this is I, an intervention. This isn't actually. I just always wonder if there's a hole in your trombone or like what's you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to pay you a lot of compliments here coming up real soon. Here, put, put your head. Headphones, oh, here, put your headphones up. Look closer. I got. <laughs> he just pulled. He just pulled his trombone is. up like he was going to play. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was a thing for me. A big deal, and I never got over it. And especially when I hurt my lip, it was like I really playing loud has, has been just bruised me up. Always has, and especially after I injured myself, it was just really tough. But you know. Not like I haven't had to do it over and over right. and over and over and over. But that doing that messed up all my like consistency with solo playing. Like it's it's I could never I couldn't figure out how to do this job and play the way that I love the most. Every I mean little moments here and there. Like had that Hamlet solo that we did. I'm I'm still very happy. Obviously really proud of that. And some things along the way. There's you know lyrical stuff. But you know I got to play bolero. I got to do some of these big things. And that was all fine. But being able to sit and play. You know, an entire solo or doing a do a recital program that hasn't been in my grasp for a long time. I just never could figure out how to do both. It was either that or the other thing, and one of them was a job. So that's the one I had to go do. Right. Um, not satisfying, not entirely. You know, not really for me. Um, but but you know, that's what I was saying in the beginning when you were saying you know you're lucky and you're doing what you love. True, I love the music, but I never got to play the trombone the way that I really really wanted to. But a couple like the the Courtois CD that we put out, that was it. That was like, I'm going to go all out and do this. Timing was right. It turned out pretty. I'm happy with it. But man, I it, that's a hard thing for me to do. I've been trying to do it now because I'm not working, but it's hard. It's hard to get back to that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things I think that we should just make sure to plug real quick is that Hamlet solo. Do you know if that's still oh, online? Man. I mean, the, the... Yeah, it's on the Met player, but yeah, it's all I know. If, I, don't think I it's... mean, it's, it's pretty close to the beginning of... It is at twenty something. Yeah, it's pretty close in, but a long yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, I, I've I've heard you play that from that re, that broadcast multiple times, and that was beautiful. And also that Courtois CD. If people haven't checked that out, that's all, you and Weston and and Paul all playing. Yeah. So let, let's back up a little bit. Where, um, so you was uh, the Met your second audition then? No, it was. Let's see. I I went to Raleigh, North Carolina, when uh, Jim Miller. And um, uh, Mike Hosford. Oh, I love I Mike. Yeah. And Carl Mazzio. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Is that right? He's the one with the red hair. I, I don't know him personally. I know the name. So I think that's right. It was us. And we drove down. And I, and I, I had worked pretty hard on that. But I did not have a high E flat yet for Schumann. Uh, and that was on the first round. And they gave me five chances because everything else was good. And I thought, this is how oh, I've heard about this. They like me. They want me to get it so bad. Like, I'm doing well, and that's why they're letting me do it again. It's not like, oh, would you like to do that again? It's like, come on, man. We're rooting for you. But it, I, just, I just could not get it. Couldn't figure it out. I was not ready. Um, and that worked out pretty well for Jim Miller, who ended up in L.A. So that, that's the way things are supposed to work. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, that was that one. And then I did audition for the, I think the one where Jim Markey got the, is that right? Or the assistant? No, it couldn't have been. Uh, it would have been Nitsan, maybe. Uh, Philharmonic okay. playing assistant. Um, and that I didn't practice very hard for. I mean, everybody's playing excerpts all the time anyway, so it was like, well, I'll just give it a shot. Um, and I, and it was again, it was like some excerpt didn't go well. They gave me three chances because the other ones went really well, but that one, whatever it was, was like, shoot, you know. Um, but I didn't take it seriously. I just knew that I had to try. And it was across the street, and I would have been so mad at myself. Like, go across the street, right. and I'll take an audition dummy. Um, and that was it. I mean, I think that was it. And then I really like the the Met audition story is pretty far out but it'll make people mad so i don't know 
couldn't talk about it too much because I didn't do anything you're supposed to do. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's I, I want to hear about that. So, I mean, when, when it when it came came along, were you more attracted to this type of position based on who you had been studying with and your love of opera from a young age? No, no, it wasn't even love of opera. I mean, I didn't care for the singing part at all. I didn't really care. I, I couldn't get like behind that. singing. I mean, I, would, I remember being at school and we would study leader, you know, and it took me a long time to be able to get that sound of a voice in my head, like the vibrato would drive me crazy. I just couldn't stand it. It was like so intense and just not natural. So, you know, I think everybody goes through that. You just, the first time you hear it, you think, what in the, what is this? And it's especially young. And then eventually you start to realize, oh, I, I see. I get it. I get it. I get it. But no, no, no. I had nothing to do with that. It was it, the summer before my last year at Juilliard, um, Miguel Hart-Bedoya, who's Fort Worth conductor, he, he was looking for players to go down to Lima to fill up this orchestra that he was building to, that was going to be corporate-sponsored. And so they had the National Symphony, which was you know, not well-paid, and everybody there had to have, take second jobs. Not everybody, but it was a tough, right? It wasn't a great gig. So he was trying to have a new model. That's what I remember. Um, anyway, and nobody wanted to go. And I said, "Are you people crazy? You're gonna, he's gonna, you're gonna get paid. You get a little bit of money. You get put up. You're going to Peru. You get to be in Lima for three months. Why wouldn't you want to do that? It's just people didn't have that sense of adventure or whatever it was. And they said, yeah, I told him to, to give you a call. And I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, let's do that. That sounds good. <laughs> and it was a fantastic experience. And again, it was like I, I had already hurt my lip. We were doing, we did things like uh, a Ladra, I guess, William Tell, Bolero." Uh, we did some pretty standard rep stuff that was good for auditioning, weirdly enough. And again, it was like, I'm not dealing with this trombone thing right now. I'm going to warm up and do my job, but I'm in Lima. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy myself like Oberlin. You know, it was like, but so my, my playing kind of started to go down a bit, but I did find like, okay, I could play Bolero cold now. I pick it up and like, said, oh, and now, and he was speaking in Spanish. We do these run out concerts. I didn't know what we were going to play. And then I'd, he'd be talking to the audience, and then I would hear, you know, I didn't know what it was. He said, and then I'd hear the word in the middle of nothing. He would say, "Bolero." Say, no, 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 <laughs> no trombone. And now, come on, you know. Um, but then I just squeeze it out. So I was learning a lot, believe it or not, in the, in this place. And then three weeks before the end, somebody said, "Oh, uh, I guess your teacher's been trying to get a hold of you. Um, we just got this fax." It says the Met audition is coming up. Oh, we should probably explain and what the fax is to our listeners. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And he had gotten hold of me. He was like, you know, you, you, uh, where are you? This thing, the applications were due, you know, and I, and because I had advanced in San Francisco, that audition, he said, we, our policy is if you've advanced in, in a major Ixum orchestra, then you don't have to send a tape. And I'll, you know, so that's good. Just send everything, tell them what you've done, you know, make it, so I got to write a resume. How, okay. <laughs> So that happened, and when I got back, got I got the list as fast as I could. I was not in good shape. I was still having such a good time in Lima, playing, you know, enjoying myself, but not. This was a really. I had gotten way off track because I was really enjoying the experience. So I had to put it back, put it together when I got back, really fast. So you know, okay, which recording should I study? What is this piece of opera that I've never heard of before? What is this? What is this? <laughs> You know, here's the music. Uh, okay, I'll listen to it. I can't find that recording. I can't hear the trombones in that one. You know, Magic Flute, right, right. for that yeah. example. It's like, I listen, and I said, what? what is this? Okay, and it's just like, okay, you know how music goes, play the music. 
I should probably put the metronome on, but I don't have a lot of time for that kind of work. So I did all the things that I just, I completely went up by instincts. I just went all musical, you know, and I was, I was careful. I, I studied, I, you know, I did work really hard on it, but it, I don't even, I don't think it was six weeks. I think I had six weeks to put it together. So, you know, I don't recommend that. Well, it worked out. <laughs> um, but it, but it worked out. I mean, I really went all out in terms of like accuracy was really coming quick. Things were really coming together. The timing was good. But when I could make a phrase in that thing, you know, I pay, played that B shade to the one that bomb, bomb, B, bomb. I'm actually bom, working on that right now, just for fun. <laughs> it's a, it, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things that I, I had gotten to a point where I was playing everything with a ton of musicality, and that's I just put I dumped it all in everything I was playing all the time, and that made a, that was it. That's what got me the job. I mean, I yeah. I fell apart on two excerpts. They asked me to do it again. I I, I was so chopped out playing Tannhäuser that I left. I was about to leave the building. I said, there's, there's no way I'm going to be allowed to, to advance. That was a semi-round. And um, somebody said, no, 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 stick around. You, you really never know. And I like, okay. But I really, it was not good. And it wasn't like I'm saying, no, my impression was this. You know, maybe it was better than I thought. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was shaking and scared and I was tired and I've guessed that they liked, it was like the, the only audition I probably could have won because they probably thought, unlike those other ones, he played really well on these other excerpts. That one was not good. I still want to hear some more because there's something in there. Maybe he's just tired, maybe nervous. Let's give one more chance. That can happen, but maybe not anywhere else. Maybe it doesn't even happen now. Maybe it was just all luck and timing. I have no idea. Yeah, but it sounds like you stumbled on kind of and this kind of kind of fits with the way you're describing the mm-hmm. way you approach the trombone growing up. You yeah. kind of stumbled, and I can identify with this in a lot of ways, uh, like kind of or, an organic approach to taking an audition where you don't get in, too far into your head Yeah, because you're just, you know what? I don't even have the time to do that. I'm just going <laughs> to like really play the music as naturally and musically as possible and go for it and not yeah. put any pressure on myself mm-hmm. and just see what happens. And it seems like I would love to hear you talk about and of course, you've been an opera trombonist for now what twenty six years? You said six years. Yeah. Um, you know the differences in the type of playing required, and and maybe maybe you see different types of players do better in opera auditions versus symphonic auditions. Like, do you feel like there's a certain more of a vocal quality that is required for the job? I don't know. I can't. I mean, I know that when I hear people play the auditions, I've heard. I've been on the other side of the screen so much now. I'm all, I mean, that's the thing I'm listening for. And maybe, and I think it's just because of the people, you know, the Met, the orchestra, we listen to singers all the time. And we also have this flexibility that that's, we develop pretty quick. That's really a major part of what we do, right? So I think we are just drawn to it. You know, if, if somebody doesn't play musically, but it's all there, and you just, you just throw your hands up. It's like, well, it's good playing. But, you know, why? Why bother? <laughs> So yeah, I think there's some of that, and I, I think I like to think that our audition process is more forgiving, and maybe that's just because I'm sensitive to it because I know that it, that's what got me through. You get this idea that if you miss a note in an audition or something, you know, you miss three notes or something like that, and you're done. You might as well pack it up and go home. And I think that's horrible. I don't understand it. Everybody should be allowed to miss notes under that high pressure situation, and the whole pack, the whole picture should be what you're what you're voting on. Granted, like there are a couple things that I've been that I always will tell people. Like if you play out of tune, you can't you can't go. You can't. Don't even go. 
It's just the one thing I would say. Your rhythm can even be a little off. A couple times, it's fine. But if you play out of tune, everybody will say, I can't play with this person. That's the one thing that I will always, you know. So in terms of, the, oh, that's kind of the whole picture of that. But, you know, when you're talking about people that playing, play, pick an excerpt. So that's opera, you know, it's an overture, whatever, Godzilla or something. You know, you both teach, right? And you've heard people play it. And you say, you've got to do more metronome work. You've got to fix the rhythm. You've got to fix the rhythm. Well, I don't know why that is, right? It's something that I've always thought, I've thought about a ton. Like, why is somebody rushing or dragging? You know, they don't think they are. So what's going on? And in my, my opinion, and I think this is what has helped me, you know, it's it, not that I wouldn't have this problem now. I don't know. But at the time, I just felt like I knew how the song went. I knew all the notes. I knew how I wanted to play it. My pitch was good. I'm going to play the song. If I had a consistent rhythm problem, I'm sure that the pair would have said, you know, this is this look out here. But what's really going on when you have a rhythm problem, you're thinking about something else. And then your brain slows time down or rushes because you panic. So it's, you can put a metronome on all day, turn the thing off, and that's still going to be wrong. And it just, I mean, there's training can fix only so much, but like, I just feel like, look, if you, if you embody it and you are living that thing that you're playing, the rhythm and the pitch, all this, it's sort of just, it should not be on your mind. I don't know how you play musically if you're worried about this stuff. I just don't know. I mean, that's what happens. So, anyway. so how would you how would you recommend to, to, to players to more embody something to, to make it more natural? It's what I've been teaching more and more and more and realizing is that I have to I have to be stricter with students that miss notes. I just have to like you cannot do any work if you're reading. I mean you could be not to say memorize. You're, you're not saying chip somebody notes. You're does, saying like they're playing the wrong note. No, 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 no. You need to know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you'll chip notes if you're reading. You know, you won't play a crescendo if you're reading. You won't remember to take a big breath if you're reading. Everything goes out the window so fast. If you're really good at sight reading, maybe you know some part of your brain is like it's fast enough it can do it all that at once. But it's like how much stuff is going on all at all at the same time when you're trying to play anything. And then add to play with somebody else. It's insane what we do, right? It's a lot of stuff. The last thing that you should be thinking about is what's the next note, you know, or any stumbling at all because you're going to lose time and you're going to take a bad breath. All that, that's what it is. So that's, I mean, it's as basic and silly as that sounds. I think that's the, the downfall of almost all, all students. I just, I just feel like, guys, we spent six months on this piece, just missed a note. How is that possible? What is going on? You know, what are you thinking about? How did this happen? And Nick, we've, you know, we've, we've all been there. And, and I don't think it's unfair to be like pretty hard on, on that issue. I think that's one of the things you say, you just say, we can't, don't do this. I'm not mad, but you can't get better if you're going to be, if you can't get the notes figured out. So if you, if you've got to read it a bunch of times, play soft, look at it, go through it. Don't get tired. You know, just, just look at the notes, figure it out without playing, whatever. So kind of a lack of preparation. You, yeah, but it's so mysterious to me because it's so common. It happens all the time. And I think, you know, being able to really absorb that part of it as fast as you can and get it out of the way completely frees you up. Somebody closes their eyes and they memorize something. You close your eyes and play, it's always better. You know, I think visually you're just, you're not distracted. And so these are ways to get, to, to get there, I think. But once that's out of the way, if you can get a chance to perform something or play with a group, even better. And do that a lot, you know. It was like I, one of those things I tell people is this story. Uh, my my wife's uh, my father-in-law. He uh, taught at Denver University, violin teacher, really, really fantastic, really great teacher. 
but he said, you know, he told me the story about um, Heifetz would take a piece on the road and tour with it for an entire year before he said, now I think I've got it. You know, and it's like, take these things seriously. And, and brass players don't think like that, not generally. You know, it's like, I got it. I'm going to flick how high and loud I can play and all this kind of fast. And, like, I nailed it. I nailed it. He didn't nail anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no nailing it. It's like, what are you talking about nailing it? It's a, you're, you play this much in some great music. You know, be fit in and, and play it great and enjoy it. You know, it's exciting to get something right, but you've got to do it again. And now you're going to do it again, and now you've got a job, and now you don't want to play it, and you still got to do it, and you probably played it better than ever when you didn't want to do it. So, <laughs> like this, by the time you're bored with some of the music, that's when you really start to get like, oh, now I see. You know, so you got to, it's, it's that, it's like, it's that, all of that is combined is, is how it all works out. Which is why I never like to talk about my med audition because it was not quite like that. But it, you know, you can learn a lot more by listening to music, and then you pick the horn up and you just play better. Well, I can say, I mean, as someone who's played with you a lot at this point, that's uh, true. You know, you, your biggest strength is all the things that you're talking about are your biggest strength, which is you know, they're my only strength. That, that is absolutely untrue. <laughs> I can barely play. Let Nick <laughs> compliment you. Thank you know, you you're beautiful, like one of the most beautiful trombone sounds out there and very fitting, especially for opera because of the vocal quality. I think because of, you know, you talk about this audition at the Met and because of uh, how you prepared or didn't prepare and just said, oh, you know, I know the song. I'm just going to sing the song. You were you were resting yeah. on the part of your playing. That's the best part of your playing. And so, I mean, even if yeah, you didn't yeah. play that well, I think that probably came across to the to the committee, you know. And that's well, that's that's for sure. But I don't want to I don't want to diminish the work that I've done. I mean, I was working. That was that that first year of Juilliard in particular was there was a lot going on. That was when I just really thought, nope, that I, I nope, that wasn't good. No, 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 gotta make every note consistent. I got really finally was like crazy micromanaging, you know, put the music stand this close so I could hear oh, every yeah. single thing in the sound. I did all the work, you know, all that stuff. And I, you know, I also played routinely. I would go walk around with duets or, or quartets. Like, who's, who's free? Who's free? Who's free? Which baffles me, you know, um, like, you know, for those who don't know, Damien and I teach at all the same schools together, Manus, Bard, and Juilliard Pre-College. And at all the schools, I would say the, the biggest thing I've come across is the lack of duets and quartets and I mean, right now, obviously, yeah. it's a unique time, but like before that, you know, I would ask, like, well, how often are you playing duets? And they'd be like, well, I don't know, six months ago. And it's like, what, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, and, and also, it's like, I'm sick of this piece. I'm sick of doing this. Well, then go play right. with somebody. Go have some fun. Hearing your story kind of brings up a question to me. You know, you you grew up kind of I don't want I don't want to say the word free spirit, but you weren't just like this tunnel vision trombonist. Where I want to play an orchestra. I'm going to lock myself in a practice room. You you were you kind of took an unconventional path. You were open to new opportunities. You wanted to experience life, and I think this all aided your playing. Mm-hmm. But now, and in and I'm talking about pre-apocalypse times. Yeah. Playing in the Met is is literally could be the busiest job on the planet Mm -hmm. so how do you playing job how do you reconcile this part of yourself that wants to be experiencing things with this incredibly busy what 27 operas a week plus rehearsals i mean you're splitting time with yeah you know two principles but how do you reconcile these two parts it's i i don't like doing the same thing all the time 
You know, it, it drove me up the wall. I was 24 when I got the job, right? And I, I was still, I finished up Juilliard. It was my second year of master's, and it was, I'm going to finish this up. I'm going to figure out this job. But I had, ne- I, I had maybe played 10 concerts in all the years that I was at school. I mean, not many concerts. I was in way over my head, and I was, and that's like, oh, now I have to do the job. I still remember Paris said that. He said, man, you got the job, but now you realize, now you have to actually do this job. And I thought, I don't know how many people have actually thought about that while they're preparing. Not that you have to necessarily, but then you realize it's every day. And then you're starting to think, how am I going to practice? What's going to happen here? I'm tired. This is a lot of hours. There's a lot of repertoire. I don't feel like playing that kind of music today. Uh, I'm not ready for it. I'll warm up. I'll be careful, but I can do it again. And then that was a heavy night. Wow, we just played Nabucco. My chops are busted. And now the next day, it's it's a totally different piece. Or you know, it's, and so you balance it with the other player. That's for sure. You couldn't do it otherwise. But still, sometimes it's it's just you're trying to stay on your game all the time. You're trying to, and and you're performing, and you're you know you really got to deliver. And it's it took. I was not, I was not in a, in a good way for a while. It was tough. I had lost a lot of my natural playing because playing in a pit, just this, there's no not much feedback. Really yeah. tough. Very strange feeling, and and it's, that's my least favorite part. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in particular, the where where we've got to sit at the pit, like for doing big stuff, all the Wagner, all the all the Strauss, uh, like a mile magic away. flute, even <laughs> sitting. In, it's unbelievably nerve wracking. Like you just sit there and you get very, you know, it's it's it drove me nuts. And I'm sitting next to a, a a wall, and and playing, you know, right at the Valkyries or whatever, you know, pick all these spots, or then like go from that to the soft carouse in Wagner, and you. Just it's, very it's naked. Terrifying. Yeah, and Vodzek was was the. I mean, Vodzek was the thing that got me tenure because I, I I was I could play that back then, especially. Um, I really liked it, and I just got my head around it. It was good good in the audition too, and I just felt like I. I that's where I started to feel like okay, I think I get this. I'm gonna. It's my time to play. Here's where I'm gonna play. You know, no second guessing. The number one thing I, I actually teach that all the time too. It's like every time you play a note is your chance to not. You know, is to say now, now, every time. Like imagine you're leading the section. Every you're starting something. You know, so when you airball a note, or if it pops or whatever, it's every single note, every long tone. It's like breathing time, and I'm going to play right now. Ah, you know. So figuring that out, you know, it's one of those things that you just have to get in your head. Like it's it's time to play. Don't don't second guess. Breathe. Go. And I had stopped doing that. I was getting that that what's that over you. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little bit of that, and I just, everything was just crazy for easily four or five years. It took me a long mm. time. People were very patient. Some weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I like you don't even have a choice. Like, when you're when you're performing so much, I mean, you don't, you, you're kind of trial by fire. You're forced yeah. to learn to deliver, right, even right. when you feel terrible. Right. I mean, I look, I, I there were good times and things that I was doing and figuring out, but I'm, I'm lucky that I had good colleagues. Because I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't have gotten tenure in certain in certain environments, and probably probably didn't deserve it. I was just lucky that they said, "Look, you're, you're a good player. We're going to give you this time, and you're going to because we think you're going to figure it out." I never did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is like the self-deprecation Olympics going on. Oh, I win. Damien's good at that. <laughs> so, so I have a question for you. After this many years in an opera orchestra and the opera orchestra that plays the most opera in the United States and, and is up there and playing the most in the world. Ugh. Favorite opera, least favorite opera. Oh, I can do that. That's easy. You know, I hate to say it because it sounds pretentious. Like I've, I've really 
rehearsed it, but it's true. I like I got Bohem, Rosen Cavalier, and Votsek. So it's like wow, cover the, all over the, the place, kind of the whole spectrum. <laughs> right, but yeah. it's but it's true. Those are the three that if I if you put it on right now, I'll I'll, not, I'll have a hard time not finishing. I just love it every single time. How, how many times do you think you've played Bohem? Oh, I, it's got to be hundred. And I never mind. That's the thing. It's like I play, did Bohem again. Great, perfect. I love it. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't get tired of it. So many you don't operas. Need the music, I imagine. <laughs> I can't, I'm always afraid to try that, but it could be true. <laughs> but you know, things like Carmen, classic opera is always beautiful. It's like after about fifty times, those tunes. I mean, it gets. It's just like it's enough. It's enough. I can't hear it anymore. But you don't. You know, and, and it's hard. It's actually really touchy. It's the stuff that you don't expect, that you don't know, and that's your job now. Every you know, now you got to play fifteen Carmens in the next four or five weeks, and it's just that's all you're thinking about. <laughs> no, I mean not necessarily karma, but whatever the rep is. But yeah, anyway, that that was a hard. That was that was the hardest part. It was a real like I'm going to be. I guess I'm going to be a trombonist. I didn't see this coming. Somehow, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm putting all this time and energy into practicing. I'm, you know, I thought I want to be a writer. I want to do like screenwriting was my. I thought this that's what I really want to do. Not that that would have worked out. Never does for almost anybody. But you know, I wanted. There's a lot of stuff I was curious about. But the job. Completely completely took over, totally took my life over. I kept pretending it wasn't, kept thinking, because I take a lot of my summers off, no summer festivals, I wasn't going to teach yet, time to go back to doing other stuff, but it never, I mean, I did a couple things, but nothing took hold, because I just couldn't get the, it just took everything to get the job going, and to, and to be able to do it, so then I had to realize, stop it, you have this incredible job, you need to have more respect for it, I did, but at the same time, I was like, don't try to split your life up because you're going to do both bad, badly. <laughs> Be careful and, you know, keep your job and sound good and, and just accept it. And that's the thing is like you, when you when you accept something like that, that's not easy. You know, like I'm sure even people that uh, most people that play in an orchestra for their whole lives at some point, they feel like, OK, uh, be nice to do something else. I kind of want to do something else now. <laughs> but you, you can't, <laughs> especially the Met. If you're luck, if you decide you want to try an audition for another job, or you know, go into some other field, that if you're lucky, you can. But it's t- it's it's the the hours are unbelievable, and the jumping around from one style to the next, it's it just it's it's a crazy job, um, which is why, right now, in the last ten years, watching the orchestra, the incredible feeling of being of demoralized that we are so demoralized, it's been really tough to take because it's. Tone there is, is not what I the way that I remember the first fifteen years not at all, and now now as you can imagine how bad it is. Yeah, seven months of no pay. You know, it's supposed to be a great job. I couldn't even can't seem to be able to find the money to keep this orchestra together. People are retiring, and we don't know what to yeah, expect. Of I don't know what it's going to be like when we come back. Who's going to be around? I, I'm sad, very sad, but it's already yeah. sad. <laughs> a um, lot worse now. So, you, uh, can we go with uh, your official least favorite operas, Carmen? No, 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 not at all. I love Carmen. It's beautiful. I just can't, I can't, I just need to find the right time. <laughs> it's beautiful music. I mean, it's what Brahms said. It wasn't it Brahms. It's like, that was his favorite opera. Well, Wagner's, oh, you know right. what Wagner's favorite so, opera was when, when he was getting going? Norma. What? That, that's unacceptable. I don't. <laughs> it's well, be- it is, beautiful music, that is everybody's it's least. such a pain to play. It's so boring. 
all, all the Bellini, all the Bellini stuff. The only time I ever like it is if I'm out somewhere or something's on the radio and I hear an aria out of context. It's and I think, beautiful. It's beautiful. What is that? And they say that's from Norman. I think yeah. no <laughs> way. That's from Norman. That's familiar. Why do I like this? What? And then in context, it's it's just a it's a long night. <laughs> Having a good cast can can get you through sometimes. Yeah. On yeah. some of these really like boring ones, and you know, you you say you love Bohem, and so you're saying you know you don't mind if trombone isn't super featured in Bohem. I mean, we no. can play, but but um, <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> you don't. So you don't mind if if it's really good music and and you're just sitting there. Not a bit. No. No. I, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> much better for me um yeah the pressure starts to get my i mean i, I honestly i've been i've been living with injured chops for my entire career plus a year like it's been a balancing act for me the whole time and i talk about it with players and, and people i talk about it a lot people don't like nick yeah you're fine you're fine you sound great you sound great but it's like it is a balancing act but you do sound great i, I understand you don't it might not feel great well, that, it, it's a challenge but it's a it's been a massive challenge like I, to not make it to not have that obvious is my that's what i focus on 80 percent of the time i'm playing is managing this thing that and, does it hurt i'll get pain i do sometimes get, i've gotten pain but mostly what happens is the lip my lip just stiffens up like the tissue in here stiffens up and then i get those you a lot of people have had that we play and you get a little like a hot needle goes through your lip you, whoa mm-hmm. oh. mm. um that's how it first happened to me when i was playing some blazovich opened up the sound. I felt fantastic. I wasn't tired. It was like, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And then just out of nowhere, sit in a big Juilliard room. It's just a needle. And this, then from then on, I was like, and every time I picked the horn up or buzz, even it was like, wow. So that's where it started. And then I started doing different kinds of exercises and playing a little bit differently. That's actually, in a lot of ways, that might be why I got my job because it, it was like, you need to pay attention to your embouchure and your air a little bit more because I was doing something clearly really wrong. You know, I wasn't doing anything wasn't firm up down here, you know. I didn't do the, this thing. Take a screenshot, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of truth to that. That you know that 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 works. You know, and I was. Have, just, you, have you considered like just singing through your trombone instead, and <laughs> trying to like fool people? I've done that. No, or like really high notes. Sometimes you, you can't know, tell the difference. What I what I think our listeners really anyway. want to know is. Um, <laughs> Seven ex- seven examples of why my one year in the Met was the highlight of your entire life. <laughs> oh yeah, how's Nick in the pit? Well, actually, I know how Nick is in the pit. Yeah, I, it's really hard to pick any one thing, Nick. Yeah, um, I was gonna I was gonna say your sound, but that's not. Ouch! Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> how often was he making like fart noises with his hands to like go around, go along with like yeah, cello lines? Very funny with his hands. Good one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I need to learn how to be. I don't think they're fart noises. I, I don't think you just leave yeah, the fart, just fart noises off. Yeah, oh, he's a good, healthy, healthy young man. Thanks, Damien. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll you send you it. some Rogaine for that. A lot right? of fiber. Oh yeah, oh, gosh. I mean, this yeah, look, I, I got That's I got it going on too, dude. It's not good. No, yeah. I just gotta commit. Yeah, I know. No, I'm 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 ready. Again, this means you have a lot of testosterone. If you talk about the accepting. I accepted the 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 job I accepted my, my lot in life and I ex- have accepted my, my hair loss. Oh it's, God. It's all fine. I, I call all it, it, I call it my countdown to loneliness. <laughs> oh, it's worse than that. I'm just going to tell you. Oh man. <laughs> oh, worst yeah. opera. You asked about the worst opera. Yeah. Yeah. There's a horrible opera somebody. that's never played that we were going to do this, this year. Apparently they brought it back. I barely remember it, but I just remember sitting there thinking, Oh, this is possible. And it's, it's a, I think it's a Bellini opera called Il Parada. Oh. 
pirate. And it's just, I, I, I don't really remember much except sitting there thinking, this might be, this might be it. This might be the one. It was, the tenor at the time was really not, he was struggling badly. And I think it was with Renee Fleming and it was, she sings beautifully, but I, and maybe it was the bad time too, because it was, maybe we did too much Donizetti and Bellini that year and I just had it. But like, fake, fake, Ella's ear, love Ella's ear. Lucia, I can I, sitting through that opera. I love yeah, Everybody Lucia. loves Lucia, I know. I, I, there's some spots, but, uh When I played with you at first, I hated it. And then. It's my fault. The tune, well, fun. yeah, you, you were, you were not happy to be there playing Lucia, let's put it that way. Yeah, I know. But then know. the tunes <laughs> kind of got going and I was like. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a great opera. The trombone parts are nothing, of course, but. I mean, you got stuff to do, but it's not important, you know. Um, it's hard, Don. Da, 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 that's hard, man. That's technique. So, <laughs> and I'm trying it's to like think. practice my arpeggios now. Uh, wow, it's good. Pretty good that I can't think of any that I really. I don't know why that is. I, can't. I can think of one you really you block hated. it out. Maybe. Uh, oh yeah, exterminating angel. I don't like the the new stuff. Yeah, the exterminating angel. I, I did. That. that was me. I had this. I I really. There was a spot in there. I thought I was. I had to really, really. I go went went into a place quiet place to yeah. get through it. it you were, you, <laughs> oh, you, you know thought what? you were quiet. You were, you were expressing out loud <laughs> the true. whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I do enjoy myself in the pit sometimes way, way too much. Um, I, actually, what am I talking about? Akhenaten, I, I'm such a, I can't stand Philip Glass. We just did that. And I, again, it was like, I, I gotta just still, I gotta be quiet and play the notes, a lot of notes. And I just gotta get through this. It drove me crazy. And the audience went wild. The people that love it, it's their favorite thing in the world. But if you don't like it, you're in trouble because it's a lot of stuff that you don't like for a long time. Well, you know, listening. Yeah. <laughs> I like listening to that style of music. Like you can get into kind of a trance setting, but playing. That's what oh, I, I love. Playing it, it yeah, is because you can't it. go into a trance setting. Playing is no, no, really a pain in the butt. Playing that stuff because you can get lost. Make a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not written. It's it's orchestrated for you know after it's been on a synthesizer. Right. There's no place to breathe. All these you know they had to double almost all the parts. It's it was like. Yeah, anyway, so that's the kind of thing. But Lulu, I can't get behind. I've tried. There's some good spots in it. It drives me a little crazy. Really? The interludes, I, lo I love the interludes, but there's some stuff in there that, again, enough. And I love Wetsex, so I don't know. It's weird. And that's the thing with the job, right? It's like you don't have to love it. No. <laughs> you know, to, to, well, I mean, you don't have a choice sometimes, but, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, it could be a full house of people that absolutely love it, and sometimes that energy can help, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of the, it's sort of bit back to that whole idea of the, the, perception of what we do I, it's okay if i feel like i don't like this opera and still feel like i'm so lucky to have this job and play this opera i don't like you know that never goes away but there's so many times where I've, like you're lucky to have work you're lucky you're lucky don't ever complain you get to do what you love i'm I, these days especially you know as around negotiation years it's one of those things that that just really it's 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 i mean it's actually insulting it's like nobody likes their job all the time Right. But because we play music, it's supposed to be, well, you're lucky, so you're not allowed, don't ever complain. It's like it's the whole American philosophy of you work and you work and you make money. You're not supposed to like it. You work to make money. If you're doing something you enjoy, that's something's wrong. And you shouldn't be well compensated if you like it. That's, I think, a very odd way. It's a sad way of thinking, right? So it's not like I'm saying always going to be really grateful. Of course. But that doesn't mean I have to sit through Agnaughton with a smile. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, I mean <laughs> but like, uh, you know, the, uh, playing in a ballet orchestra and having spent a lot of time playing opera too, you know, I've talked to symphonic players and like, oh, how do you, how do you sit through those like really long, boring operas with like those really cheesy right. ballets? <laughs> and I'm like, 
the same way you sit through sit through the really shitty ABBA, ABBA cover band you have to back up, you know, and your pops concerts. I get paid at the end of the week, you know. It's like, yeah, and also yeah. in the future, it's going to be something that I really love to play coming up really soon. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, these those moments where you dislike the job are so short lived compared to how grateful yeah. you are for oh, yeah. the opportunity. You know? Right. And I don't and I don't know about you guys, but there's always, you know, do you ever feel like God, this is this is great. I love playing. This is easy. I'm having a blast all the time. Like it's hard. No, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's so it's so hard, and it's not understood very well. I mean, people, I, I always want to tell people, you know, oh, you still have to practice. You get that sometimes, right? You know, oh, you still have to practice. Practice sometimes more than I'm playing. I mean, right. Of course, it's a skill. It's a very different. You know, it's a skill that you can't you can't ever take for granted. You're always trying to get better all the time. Always trying to figure some new thing out, and it does happen. Your body changes. You get older, and it's like I guess that's not going to work anymore gotta figure something out <laughs> in those kind of conversations it usually just ends up leading to you know when it's with non-musicians or people that don't understand the industry it, it usually just leads to you know you can put clear facts and figures about the amount that the arts stimulate the economy and how uh, necessary they are yeah. so i mean yeah that usually ends it when when they don't think it's a real occupation yeah yeah i i, I that comes up a lot but what i i'd like to do is especially now like this idea of had an idea to, to play thing, play something two different ways, or three or four or five different ways. Say, okay, let me just show you what's on the page. This is what's written to the notes. Here's some of the dynamics. This is how you play. Like, this is all. This is the information on the page, and then record that, and then say, now let me show you ten different ways that I can perform this and interpret it, and they're all legitimate. And the only reason I can do this is because of all the years of my life listening and studying. One of them you'll probably like better than the other ones, which means you've got some kind of aesthetic that's drawing you to something that moves you. Somebody else might like number nine. Somebody else might like, the people that like Philip Glass, they'll like that first one. Um, <laughs> the one with no affectations. Anyway, no. Uh, but, you know, you get the idea. Like, you want to you want to make the case, like, you, this is not um, pick it up, let's go, time to play. That was great, you know. And I would, I would also argue with some people, like, have you ever been... To the opera or to a symphony and one night are in, you're moved beyond belief you're either excited or you're in tears or whatever and then you hear the same piece again maybe it's a different night or it's a different group or a recording and you feel nothing and you think what is that about is that me mm-hmm. is the timing it's like no no that's the magic that's the thing like that's why there's live music that's why we straight it's like even if you're having an off night you still give everything you can and that's what makes one group a little different from another group. And that's what makes, that's why it's good. That's why it's valuable. You know, I think that gets forgotten. And I think that's one way to kind of make that argument with people. Like, remember that night you went there and you were crying? That's because you got to hear a group of people that are, that are giving something to you that have worked really hard and thought a lot about it. And that's valuable. You know, I hate the fact that we have to defend our value. Just It's, it's insane. I know. I've, been, I've been wrapped up in it for seven, you know, all these years and, it shouldn't be the case. It's a, it's not something we should ever have to say. We should just show up and do, you know, give what we can and move people and make them feel good or bad. <laughs> I remember when when I was a, I did my senior year at Interlock and, and Joe Alessi came and did a whole week of like master classes and uh, played with the band and stuff. And in this master class, someone said to him, one of the students said like, like, how does it feel to have a job where you're like a hundred percent happy? every day and uh, yeah. this was the first time i was exposed to someone he, he gave a really good answer actually he was like 
it was kind of along the lines of what you said, Damien. Like, let me start by saying I am so grateful for what I have. Exactly. But yeah. he said right. there are there's inevitably going to be days. It could be like your life is chaotic and you don't want to be there because there's other things going on that are really important. Or it could be the music or it could be whatever. But there are days where you're just like, I don't want to be here. And mm. you have to do it. And you have to do it for the sake of the music and for the sake of the listener that like, I'm going to, yeah. no matter what, I'm going to give hundred percent, but there's some days I'm more enthusiastic about it than others. And he also right. he also said, listen, also I've played all this music. Now all the standard repertoire 40 different times. He, he said, yeah. he said like, there's not a whole lot left of the old classics for me to experience. So I go elsewhere, like playing solos and put putting out CDs and giving masterclasses <clears throat> like these that stimulate this thing inside of me. And, yeah. and that was the first time that I thought about like, how is that possible? Like this guy is like in the New York Philharmonic, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. but, it, but it, you know, I, I found out as I matured, of course that's true. You know, there's it, just like you said, there's, there's no job in the world that, that is perfect and people love 100% of the time, but we're pretty darn lucky that we play something that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that gives, gives back way more than like a, you know, nine to five cubicle job, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're so we are so uh, quick to say, look, I'm never gonna, never gonna put this job down. I'm always gonna say the grateful part first, especially in the cultural climate we're in. Because if you say, if you, I mean, I, I, I found a letter because I'm on the committee in an old box. It was a letter, handwritten letter from someone in the cafeteria who was complaining. It was brutal. It was just a little handwritten, scrawled out, angry note. Um, that they were saying, you guys are so, you, you guys complain, you sit in the pit, you complain about, or you sit in the cafeteria complaining about conductors, you're so lucky, you don't deserve to be paid with you, you know, you take this job for granted, and I thought, what did they, what did they, somebody say, what were they talking about, and now I've been, you've been in the cafeteria, that's the whole, like, that's the shop talk, that's the backstage stuff, where you, you let it go, like if, yeah, you're going to complain about the conductor sometimes, because not good, and it may be because you didn't get the cue, and it made your job harder, and the interpretation's driving you crazy, but that's the fun part, right? I mean, that's like that's that makes you better by talking and complaining and figuring stuff out. It's not like you're not appreciating the job, but the, the but what was behind that letter is you are a musician and you're lucky to be playing music. Shut up. That's it. Yeah. Like no understanding of what's going be, going on behind the job. Like if you complain about your boss in a lousy job, that's okay. If you can have a great job and complain about the conductor, you're some kind of entitled jerk. That's weird. <laughs> you know, there is. Um, there, I know why, I, but it's like, come on, that's not fair. <laughs> there was one time I was, anyway. I was subbing down in, in the Atlanta Symphony, and the backstage area there, they tend to meet up after a concert, the musicians, and someone has like, you know, a, a bottle of something in their locker, kind of like the locker room at the Met. They'll have a little, you know, nip of scotch or something like that. And they were they were all complaining about the performance and the conductor and this, that, and the other. And there was one of the, one of the, I think it was a bass player. His girlfriend was, was in the audience and met backstage with us and she's not a musician. And so she's hearing everyone complaining about this, that, and the other. And she goes, at some point she goes, well, hold on. I thought you guys were supposed to like what you did. Oh, yeah. And then everyone's like, go. no, 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 no. We love what we do. <laughs> it's just that we wish it was better sometimes and we're, yeah. we're frustrated and we want it to be, it's like, it comes out of a place of passion and it, it seems negative, but it, it really does come from a place of passion. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. And, and you know, there's just somebody up there who's either going to make it easier and better and inspire you or really be a bad night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
and just disappointing, really. I mean, I've had, you know what it's like when you hear a great piece of music and interpreted poorly. It's like, I finished recitals and heard recordings, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I want to jump out of my skin. Just like, oh, you missed that. That's a, that would give me, oh, you missed that and that. And so, oh, no, come on, you're supposed to do this here. Yep. You know, it's frustrating, but it's, that's fun in a way. And it makes, again, it's like it makes you better because it means you've got an opinion. You know, yeah, and I, I mean, agree. if you don't have an opinion, then what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you get better? How do you say anything? So Damien Austin. Yes. Principal trombonist of the Metropolitan Opera. The, yeah. the title. Do you feel pressure with that title outside of the orchestra, inside of the orchestra? Yeah. I mean, I, it's been, that's, I'm a weird player. Everybody knows I'm not, I am not the great great show off i'm not going to do that i can't you know i i play the way that i do i've had had great things happen i've had some pretty bad things happen and it's a long it's a long career you know and it is a career i'm not i am not anywhere near the caliber of chop master that any of of any of any of the players that i look up to and like to hear i just don't have it and i but i i've had to i wanted to have a career i love music and i balance and i'm serious when i say like don't nick it's like I've always told my colleagues, don't underestimate the amount, the balancing act that you're watching. <laughs> you know, when something goes well, and, and you know, when it, and I'm maintaining. But the problem is, like, you talk about not being satisfied. When you spend so much time maintaining, it's frustrating. So I feel the pressure because it's like, God, I wish I was doing more. I have a lot of stuff I would love to say and play and do recitals and get out there more and, and do CDs and do a ton of stuff up here. But, the, but it's a balancing act for me. So the pressure, like, oh, who is this guy who's been playing principal, but you know, he never plays anything. I want to hear a solo. Let's go. We'll take this on the road. Go, go tour. Go do this. And it's like, man, if, if I even was able to get a few things together, if I'm going to be at the Met doing some Aidas, maybe doing some Magic Flutes and the rest, I can't do both. I've just never been able to figure it out. And I, I am jealous beyond belief. I'm so I wish, you know, I see all my colleagues that can do it. It was never going to be me. So there's a lot of pressure. I always feel, I, I wouldn't say pressure. It's more like I feel like I'm disappointing people and myself. It's just always this like, you know, I can demonstrate something. I can get through a chunk. I can play it really well. But from beginning to end and performability and consistency is just not my doing anymore. Happy to do it in lessons. Thank God I can do that. What about, I mean, obviously you're busy with the committee now, but with this unforeseen free time, have yeah. you imagined doing any of those projects? I'm trying, you know, because I'm not, hitting anything particularly heavy but i'm i'm what i'm finding has got me concerned is i'm doing a lot of fundamentals i'm doing you know i i can teach all the things i can teach myself and all the changes and everything that i figured out over the years to stay to keep it together but getting for me now i just turned 50 not that that's that old but it body changes (laughs) and this part after so much overuse for so many years is just it doesn't want to cooperate very very much and as I'm trying to do, take my own advice, take my own medicine with playing. And every now and then, I'll feel like, okay, this is it. I can build from here. This is a good place. I warmed up right. Last few days, no problem. I'm not pushing myself. So I'll get through a piece of music, and I'll get about halfway through the page thinking, all right, back. <laughs> and then I'll go for a little bit more. I, won't ever, I, I never overdo it. There's no point right now. Anyway, and inevitably, over the next two days, it's like, uh-oh. What happened? No, 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 no. <laughs> and it just starts going downhill. It's it's the most elusive, frustrating thing. And I know that it's physical. I've, I've, I've beat myself up over years. Like, is it me? Am I just not practicing right? What is it? What is it? 
I, I just, this part of my lip inside, it's, the texture changes. It physically changes. So I'll play a, just a B-flat warm-up. One day, beautiful, no problem. Next day, it's like, puff, 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 come on. And it, it, does, it just physically does not vibrate the same way. And so all these other things, especially a little light articulation in the middle range, it does not want to go. It just won't vibrate. And I'm doing everything the same as I did the day or two before. So pressure, yeah. <laughs> Disappointment, all of that. It's been, it's been very, very frustrating. Thank God I'm about to get fired. <laughs> he just took a big drink after he said that. <laughs> I mean, it's a testament. I don't know. This is this is obviously one of the toughest times, and, and yeah. you know, it's a testament to your fortitude, though, that you've stayed in one, arguably one of the hardest jobs right. in the world, not feeling a hundred percent, and you've you've made such good music, which at the end of the day is the most important thing over so many years. And yeah. you say you don't perform much. You're performing all the time. You know? Well, there's that. Yeah, that's the thing. And that was the, the, the acceptance. It was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. This other, All these other things, probably not going to get to do it. Nick, I'd like to ask you some questions about what it's like um, in the pit. Do you ever, is it a, would you call it a kind of an uptight professional, you know, really we're going to put this <laughs> together. And in the intermission, I, I, it's like, guys, that wasn't acceptable. Let's go work it out in the back room. Let's go. We need to go have a little sectional. Like, am I that guy? Much. Well, I've never heard someone call the back room in a sectional Texas Hold'em at the poker table. Oh, that. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm just as long because I don't. I may never see you again. I just like to say I'm really. Up, I'm sorry for making the the pit environment so very very uptight. But I think the the quality, the product that we get from me being so so focused and yeah, professional every night. Yeah, you you almost never talk in the pit. I wish you would talk more. I'm, I'm I'm giving you an out here. You're supposed to tell tell the world how out of control it is in the pit. I've heard some um, stories. Let's just say there are there are a few stories that are not not P, okay. not PG thirteen. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, D- Damien, you're a wisecracker. That's the only way yeah. to put it. You know, I, I can yeah. I can safely say no one's made me laugh. Well, Sebastian's gotten close in the in the oh, pit. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but no one's made me laugh harder in the pit than you for sure. <laughs> And the reason I purport to bring it up is, is that's one of the main reasons that I've been able to get through that job. That's, I mean, I've said, when I first got that job sitting next to Mark Gould and... Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, and Jim Pandolfi, Pete Bond, Herb Wexelblatt played tuba, uh, Hal Janks. I'm talking about the characters, the people that were just hysterical. And then Early Anderson, who nobody probably even knows. I, my first gig ever with, was with Early. I think I told you this. He's, I mean, he's hilarious. I got in there. He was one of the funniest that his stories were. I couldn't believe the things he was telling me. He looks um, like Santa. He actually does. It, he plays Santa now, like as a side hustle. I hope he's all right. <laughs> I haven't heard a word. I don't know. I haven't heard a word um, either. It's been a long time since I heard about him. But there was like uh, Larry Wexler was a very funny man, and just these characters all around me. So I'm in this job thinking, perfect. It's like we're just gonna joke around and play. And then it would be the more the different section, and Levine would be up there, and then everything changed. Like, okay, I see how this is going to go. So now it's time to turn it on, and now we can relax a little. Okay, guys, we're playing. This is hard. Let's focus. And then you know, all the joking around gets a lot quieter, except for me. I, I do it no matter what. <laughs> but but you know, it's like that's what I walked into, and so I carried that to kind of an extreme for a while, and almost got I got into some serious trouble. But I think now. That's why I'm asking Nick. I feel like, you know, I think we did all right those last couple of years where, like, music was good and we had a good time. And it helps tremendously. You're in there for four hours, seven-hour days with a rehearsal. You got you can't just sit there like that. I could never do it. I don't know how. 
Well, my favorite, <laughs> it, it, you know, there are certain operas, the ones that are like big standards, Bohem, Butterfly, any of the, any of the Puccini's actually. Um, Aida. Uh, Aida. That, hmm. that, you know, da- if you don't know the opera really well. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Damien will talk, 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 talk. And then with about half of a millisecond, <laughs> raise his horn and play an entrance. So, yeah. Yeah. And you don't, you don't miss entrances most no. of the time. About ninety nine percent, I would say, is you is you never. I, miss. It's that's true. pretty good. I, I almost never count. I just one of the things I tell. Look, if you if you had to play or sing Happy Birthday, would you miss a note? Right. Of course not. How many? You know, it's so Happy Birthday. Oh, it's my turn. To you. Okay, got it. Big no problem. Well, you know, <laughs> if, if once you know this music well enough, you just it's time. Okay, I think it's time to play now. Okay, oops. <laughs> yeah, and when anyway. the, the funny thing is because we have that with Nutcracker or Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty, any of the, yeah, any of the exactly. big ones, um, yeah. where. Every now and then you'll miss an entrance and you'll sit there and you're thinking like, wow, something's off. And then you, oh my God, I missed an entrance. Music sounds different right here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually one of the reasons why, you know, with, again, with the teaching is I tell people like, there's no substitute for performing it or in rehearsing it. You know, the fact that I don't, that we, you know, you've been there. The fact that in these long, a five hour opera, you've got a 13 minute tacit or 15 minute tacit or whatever, eight minute tacit. You're not going to probably count, even if you do count, how much confidence are you going to have that you didn't miss one bar? You know, like, right, if yeah. you're depending on that to bring yourself in, you're in trouble. So you're really focusing on the music way more than you would if you were sitting home alone, you know, with a part, working it out, and like, okay, I'm going to hear this, and I'm going to go with my record. When you start rehearsing a piece like Wojciech, I, I don't know if I ever would have gotten, really gotten into it, uh, just listening to it. But those, those rehearsals with Levine, my God, it was like just laser focused the whole time and intense repetition of stuff. This is how I want you to do it. No, again, no, no, no. And then like the amount of rehearsing with him was a lot of rehearsals. Yeah. So it just, it, you got it in your head. It just got in your bones. By the end, you were just, there's nothing you could, couldn't miss something. I always appreciate yeah. it when, when someone that's had the score before me will write in when you have a big rest in the trombones coming up. They'll just write like, 20 minutes or 22 minutes and 30 seconds. Like yep. they, one person spent the time just to like, Oh, I have plenty of time to go play a couple. Oh of yeah. Later. Cool. Yes. <laughs> yep. And the other thing is, you know, when you do miss something that that's the time when your brain says, Oh, oh, oh God. And it goes into your head and you know, you probably will never miss yeah, it. Again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's very intense. Okay. Rapid fire, okay. super lame questions. Oh, great. What kind of mouthpiece do you use? Close. Getting close. Okay, some of these I've thought about cutting, and you actually took one of them. Well, it's okay. Uh, (laughs) Thayer valve or rotor valve? Um, I'm sure there's other valves too, but. Hagman. Hagman valve. Bonus. bonus. But not not until I started playing the. Actually, first was the Thayer on the Courtois, and then I switched later. I don't think. Um, I I don't like this equipment talk. I will tell you my. That's it. I'll tell you my no. I'll do it. But my I'm my. Same. I mean, look. I'll tell you how I, when I won my job on I another one of those stories that you just think that's impossible. That I won the Met job on a broken down, closed wrap Bach that I had had. I think it was the one I had in high school. There was everybody that saw this horn thought, "There's no way this kid's gonna make it." Right? And, and the, the 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 spit valve was broken off, and I had putty there. There's a hole in the part of the valve. There's you had a hole putty here. on your spit valve. Yeah, that was how I. How'd you let spit out in between? I took it off. I took it off and stuck it back on. Oh my god! There was a hole in the valve up here. I also had to close with putty and put tape around it. 
And the valve, the valve literally, it was, it, when I pushed it, it would made, you know, it was like a clank. It was like, clack, 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 clack. Yeah. and I had to do, um, uh, oh, come on, uh, what's the, the, the Forza? Forza. Oh, God. And I had, yeah, I had taught myself how to work around that horn to the degree that I could get a job. So when I, when people start talking about equipment and I, you know, I think this, and you pick it up if it makes you feel better. Absolutely do it. Spend your money if you think it's going to help you a lot. But don't don't have a horn that's in your way. That's the only thing that I'll ever ever say. If you can avoid it, but if even then, got to work with it. So yeah. But this that's this really is good obviously advice. yeah. Well, that's really good advice to young people that get obsessed with uh, equipment. Um, put it away and play in tune. <laughs> don't play a new horn. Play in tune. Anyway. But so far, you're you're doing very poorly on the rapid. Oh, yeah, uh, the rapid so answers. I've, uh, you know, I've, so I'm, we, I'm off. I've got no place to be. I could do this. For, <laughs> I swear to God, I could do this for six hours. I don't care. Oh, that really just made me shudder you. just thinking about editing a six-hour <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, the well, we, 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 yeah. we, we asked you. I still can't get over the silly putty. Uh, we <laughs> asked you favorite opera, least favorite opera. Um, <laughs> so now to another lame question. Uh, Yamaha, Trombotine, or Slido Mix? Oh, boy. I am real bad at maintenance. You just need some water think, and some. I'm telling you, I I I have that Yamaha stuff in my case, and if I don't have access to it, then I I think I still have Trombotine in my locker. Um, I don't really. It does it does gum up. I, it's you got to be careful with it. But I probably put stuff on my slide once every couple of weeks. Jesus. It's like, oh man, why is my slide not working? Oh, how long was it? We're gonna have to put a disclaimer I, on this episode. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm I'm interested to hear your answer to this one. Mm. Uh, this is more conceptual. Wait, is does it, that mean you weren't interested in the other one? Correct. Not as much. No. That's fine. No, mm. I just think I just think I'm also uh, not interested in what I have to say. <laughs> I think <laughs> I just I have a feeling you'll have good answers. Now the pressure's on. Is okay. fifth position real? Oh really? You want to talk about alternate positions with me? You need another hour. No, no, no. If, if it just exists <laughs> more in conceptual. any way, shape, or form. Yes. Or is it a construct? No, it's it's you need you need that one. It's important. One of my favorites. You can't play it's very one of your lyric. favorites. You can't play anything lyrical in that middle range if you don't get used to playing on the fourth That's, in the fifth position. Isn't that where you I, where you play hashtag F? <laughs> wow. Um, F hashtag, right? Well, it's written, I, I written, am, it's written hashtag F. I am really unforgiving with my students with the alternate positions. I, I insist. That's like I want your B flat to sound as good as a B natural because it's that you're going to need it. And I want you to play a D in fourth because it's the same, should feel the same as the E flat. And I want you to play an F in fourth because if you ever play a scale, there's a half step there. If you want it to sound pretty, you know, you really don't have much of a choice. So this going across breaks and, you know, like F, whatever, at the fifth position, I just, I don't understand. I see it constantly. I just think God, it's so much harder. What are you doing? So yes, it exists. Okay. Ooh, passionate. Yeah. We confirmed no, that really, it's real. I, I and and I have convinced professional players. I don't know if you, I, I I know that they probably wouldn't mind if I mentioned it. But I've gotten into fights, not fights, but gotten pretty passionate about it. And I'm like, okay, close your eyes. I'm gonna play it two ways. Play both ways, and I want you to tell me which one sounds better. And it's always better the other way. Always, always, always. Anyway, what the other way using alternate? like alternates? Yeah, yeah sen- like, sensible and, and, alternate positions. Yeah, like uh, more so symphonic. If you're not playing out in fourth, fifth, and all those, for all those D's, F's, and B flats, then you you, you can't. It's going to sound jerky. Even if you're a genius and you're perfect on the horn, 
just never going to sound like you're moving from here on a cello. Like, uh, you can't do that. And you have to. It's a trombone. It's that's yeah, the fun part. The beginning <laughs> gets real choppy. All that stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. break really yeah. gets choppy. But it's that's, not that's even that's they always say. <laughs> oh, I sing the hell the, out of that. Mm. The, it, the hort. The students will always say, you know, like, well, I, I was, you know, I play it, play it in the natural positions whenever possible. Does it sound better? Oh, sing it. Listen to how you sing it. That would be like going, ba da 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 You don't want to do that. That's beautiful. I, yeah, it has, a, it has a good effect. Like, I should rethink this, all of this. Thanks, Nick. You're doing great. You're doing great <laughs> at the rapid part of this. Yeah. Uh, there's really no good. rapid. I'm sorry. No, I love it. Yes. I love it. Cut all no, that. I, Just say yes. No, yes. That, no, that was all really good information. Thank you. <laughs> um, This is uh, this might be hard because you've had so many amazing concerts, but your most memorable concert experience? Oh, I've had a, yeah, I have had a bunch. A, or if you want to pick lot. like a run. I think they're mainly with me. They're all with Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and they're all because he played, for whatever reason, he finally was able to play below Fortissimo when it touched me. Oh, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, my. You God. asked for it, Nick. I did. Um, I did. I baited you. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the earliest ones was a, a performance of Bohem, not to keep talking about Bohem too much, but it was Santi was conducting. He's a legendary sort of character and Italian guy. He uh, could be pretty crazy on the podium, really crazy. Like, you didn't know what to play. He had a cue with like he'd be like this with his arm like this, and he go like that and turned on. You know, you're supposed to play. <laughs> his little elbow, um, elbow, Th- it was throwing great. bones. I mean, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was it was so much fun because I, I I always say like if the conductor's not giving it to you, you're off the hook. Do your best. It's not your fault. Have a good time. Um, but he did it. The, I don't know what it was. If it was just mood I was in or whatever. But the last scene where Mimi's dying and it's the duet. Don't give it away. Oh, she's dying. <laughs> Thanks dying. a lot. We think she's dying. Apparently, she's not well. Uh, so, she's someone really runs doesn't... in with some penicillin and saves her at the last second. <laughs> That's the, yeah. I still don't know how they haven't disnified that on Broadway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they so she's you know she's she's doing poorly. She's very sick uh, anyway. But something about the way that he spaced it and would wait and then brings the next section in and then all the tempos were effective. Those transitions and the space in it really, and I had, I had heard it a lot already, um, but every now and then, man, that somebody does it like they 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 time it just right, and it's like you've never heard it right before, and it Goosebumps. just it kills you. Yeah, I mean, I've had that with the, uh, and Rosen Cavalier, the beautiful music in Rosen Cavalier, even if it's done badly, this, some of those duets, the trio, and, and yeah, and the, the the presentation of the rose. The, the duet at the end of the first act. I mean, the the, the music in that is so exquisite um, mm. and and playful at the same time. It's just elegant from beginning to end and incredible stuff. They were and playing the a live one. Rec- oh, sorry. No, shut up. So <laughs> I was just going to dote on your, your Rosen Cavalier. I was just going to say that they were playing a, <laughs> a, a live Rosen Cavalier on the Met Opera Radio a few weeks back, and it was yeah. just, it was breathtaking. It is really and you got to listen to it a few times, and that's one of those things I always say, oh, you're going to love it, and people go and they don't like it. And I say, I wish you could sit in the pit and rehearse it so that you get to hear it a bunch of times and start to get it in you and then hear it again. But then uh, when we did Rookert Leader on stage with, uh, it was Renee Fleming, and Louise was conducting, that, that's that, that one number that in there that if you, if you don't, if you, 
I always say, if, I'm so glad I didn't know what the words were, because I was just getting overtaken by the music. It's the slow movement is a beautiful thing about dying. And, uh, and I was just on stage thinking, this is probably, this might be one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. And then you have to play. And you're like, <laughs> um, we did uh, uh, C minor mass with, uh, the cast was incredible with Levine. And this, at the beginning when the soprano comes in, I just Oh, thought, that's the best. Oh. I love that. There, there's just, there's been so many. I cannot tell you. What, every performance of Wozzeck I ever played, I felt like just like blood boiling. So exciting. I can't, I can't pick one. There's no way. No way. There's just way too much great music. Those are yeah. awesome answers. Now I want to go <laughs> listen to all that. Um, last question from me. Something you would tell your 18-year-old self, either musically or non. What would I say? I Actually, somebody said it to me. My uncle at the time, he was the only one that said this to me. And I, I look back and I was grateful and I just didn't, I, I think I could have heard, stood to hear it more. Just, he knew that I was getting good at the music and that I'd gotten into college and he just said, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like, it was a very sincere moment. He, he just really, like, he'd always talked to me like I was grown up from way back. Um, and it, so it was, it, was, it was, actually most people did. I was only, I'm, I am still an only child. So I got treated, you know, pretty equally with everybody. But he said that to me, and I stopped for a second. I, and I said, yeah, I love music. And I, he said, I think he probably even said, you know, but the trombone, and what, what's going to happen? And, and he really was trying to get me to think about it. I kind of wish that somebody had done that more, to be honest. Because if you don't get that, if you're going along a trajectory because either because you're naturally talented or because you love it so much, but maybe you're not as talented, so you're going to work really hard, and then you find yourself through college years, and then maybe after thinking, "Uh oh, <laughs> no, it's really serious." And it's it. And I, you know, my when I went to Northwestern for my college interview, and I didn't know what the Chicago Brass was. I'm sorry, everybody. You know, and I went, I got in. They didn't have any openings, but my audition was like it was my last audition, and I, I was like, it was the best audition I've played since the Met. I got into Northwestern, no openings, didn't know Chicago, didn't know it was competitive, and I met with one of the players in the studio, not knowing. And I was all, I was a totally green, I had nothing, I traveled, I didn't know, I had mono and I didn't know it, so I was wasted, I was Whoa. all messed up. Yeah, and this guy, I'm not gonna say who, very renowned player, I imagine, I didn't know who it was at the time, gave me a long lecture about how hard it is in the industry, how there aren't that many jobs and you really have to work really hard. And, and I walked out of there thinking, why would you tell me that? Why I, I that's the last thing I ever wanted to hear, you know, and it's just like, well, you got to balance the reality with it. He'd never heard me play, <laughs> you know. It was like this whole idea. So while I'm really glad that I, I, I that I got that question, and I wish that I'd had a little bit more of it, you know, I don't think you can actually ask the, that question to an 18 year old. I, I don't think they're going to understand it. I mean, maybe a little bit, but if you're on a path at that stage when you're teenage years, and somebody tells you you're good at something. What are you going to do? Say, yeah, I know I'm good at this, but screw this. I'm out of here. <laughs> no teenager does that. Like, really? I'm good? Oh, wow. Um, you think so I should you keep doing it? So, yeah. you, so you wish? I wish that I had been, I wish I'd had an, I wish I felt like I had a choice. I didn't, hmm. you, know, you know. Would you have I, chosen differently if you could go back now? There's no, th these are things that you learn late in life to never question. That's that only will lead to extraordinary misery, which I did in my <laughs> in my early in my mid twenties while I was figuring myself out on the job and early thirties until I got married and had children and realized don't be a jerk. Got a great job, 
play the stupid trauma moments kicking your butt every day. Play it. Do your best. Make a family. Shut up and stop it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay, so this is the question I asked all our guests. What do you think students need to do more of that they're not doing enough of? If you're listening to only brass music, you're not going to get. The, you're just not going to get very good. You can't. It's possible. The best music that's ever been written is not has not been written for brass yet. <laughs> we have our moments in orchestras, of course, and there's some fine solos, beautiful there's moments. But you're never going to come close to the repertoire that's out there with strings and piano and voice. We're not. Which is why we do transcriptions all the time. And why our instruments, trombone in particular. It's a beautiful lyrical, you can't do that sound. You cannot make that sound on any other instrument. So if you're not listening to that music that does that, a string, you know, going from here, just up a half step, or a little bit of portamento, you've got to play on your trombone and do that. So listen to everything that's everything, and, 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 and definitely learn the notes. Get it out <laughs> of the way. For God's sakes, we can't have that other conversation. Or we can, but you're going to come back and miss notes never going to get there yeah and the other thing is go into debt either go into debt or appreciate every single day that your parents are paying for college and don't be a jerk about it because i'm telling you the kids that have the debt and that are struggling with that they they work i'm sorry they work harder i don't think there's been one that i haven't seen work harder because they they've got a stake in it there's a sense of entitlement that every that we all like culturally kids are made fun of all the time these days i'm just going to college yeah, of course I'm going to college. No, there's no, of course you're going to college. You're lucky. And, but then they just, like, got to, gotta, you know, go into debt. Have, have, your, have something in the game. Like, you've got either skin in the game because you're passionate about it and you work hard or because it's going to cost you money and it's going to get scary. So you've got to, something's got to trigger you and bring you into, unfortunately, to maturity, whatever it takes. Get your heart broken. Fear. Yeah, get your heart broken as soon as you can, too. That's my other <laughs> get that over with four good mm, wow yeah i i like that. that that might be one of my favorite answers i mean i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna say best yeah. because there's, there's no right or wrong but favorite yeah. for me i really enjoyed that oh good yeah i had to get away from the i had to dress up the rest of it i said learn all your notes yeah big deal Any, anybody can say <laughs> that <laughs> yeah well i think i think we've covered it all oh it only took four hours <laughs> We really appreciate you coming on and um, hearing Absolutely. your story. And sure, you know, and I, I think that everyone should go check out your playing out there. I wish there was more of it online. See, that's the thing. Me too. I'm work. I'll, I'll try. I keep trying. I really do. It's frustrating. Send us, um, send us some stuff. Yeah, I'll try to. We'll be the official Damian Austin Instagram account. <laughs> I'll try to dig up uh, that Hamlet solo. That so that because yeah. that's really beautiful. Oh, okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah, I was, I think that I peaked. That was it. That was it. The camera came out. I freaked out. My heart's like, I, I made a joke to Weston right before I played to calm down and then played that whole thing. And I thought, wow, okay. I think I'm all right. I think that was good. I don't know. <laughs> Cap- captured yeah. lightning in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I get a couple moments in life. That was one of them. Yep, I agree. And thanks for your, thanks for your support of the podcast. Nick sure. Was, you, you've heard a few episodes that I, yeah, yeah. I was shocked to hear that. So that meant a lot. <laughs> I'm not the only one, I hope. But you know, <laughs> hey, when do we get together to do the uh, the adult version of this? Uh, 
honestly, I would love to do like a, a video thing just for subscribers where it's just live and that way they can't save it and we can just say whatever we want. <laughs> we're we're eventually, eventually going to do that uh, Patreon yeah. and we're going to do a little bit after hours vibe. Breaking news. Oh, yeah. Want be to be on. You'll get, you, you might get a lot more yeah, people that are like, okay, I know what it's really like to hang out with these guys. Let's do that. I, yeah. I'm going to require <laughs> that you have, have three glasses yeah. of scotch before we begin. Yep. Okay. Oh, God. So the two, this, the two, that wasn't enough just now. Okay. <laughs> I want to have one now, too. I am going to go have one. What is there to say about Damien? He is probably the best balding trombonist I know. Wow. I mean, you're totally bald. You're totally bald, Sebastian. So he's balding. Well, I, I, well, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm totally bald. Uh, I, I choose to keep it short. There, there is a, a what some would call a tuft that will grow, and so I definitely learned once I, I banged my head and I wasn't allowed to shave my head for two weeks. It was definitely getting kind of hilarious, but it was actually made me feel good because there was there was there was some there was some action up there still going on. Well, it's 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 his last. Like it's like his death throes, like holding on to this side of loneliness. The other side is absolute loneliness. You know, Damien, I know you're going to listen to this. I'm sorry, dude. It's just lonely from here on out. And I can we're say sorry, that, Damien. I can say that. Like I'm going bald up here. I'm going bald right up front, like where everyone could see it. And I mean, I I look like I look like a third call sub for a clown agency in Boise, Idaho. Man, you offended so many people just now. That's like our demographic of listeners. You just like <laughs> described it perfectly. Yeah, that's it's probably not far off. But hey, you know, you, you like like Damien. You know, he's embraced it. the The crying has gone down. It's not. It's not. A, it's not completely gone. There's a lot of crying. It's just gone down. He sent me a, a press photo to use for for advertising his interview. Should I just? do some Photoshop and, and do like no hair on top just so we can visualize a little better. Well, you could do that, but everyone should know. I mean, like, so my locker in the Met lock, the men's locker room at the Met is all the way towards the bathroom where the showers are. And Damien frequently goes and works out. I don't know why, because he's still got that dad bod rocking hard. And you know, that's coming from a fat guy. So like, Hey, what are you going to do? But like I'm back there and I'm like changing in, into my tux, getting ready for the show, and I hear echoing through the bathroom. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. And he's really singing to his hair. That's what this was happening. So he sings like '80s love ballads while he works out before shows, just to get into the right like emotional mindset for opera. Yeah, and all, everyone else should also know, and this is a hundred percent true, and so was everything before this. Just. For the record, he rollerblades to and from work. <laughs> that actually is, he really does. Oh and my God, I love that fact. He rollerblades everywhere because. Why he, didn't we talk about this in the interview? I know we should have. In fact, actually. Did at, you refer to him as his blades? I wish he would, I guess. I'll meet you there. <laughs> gotta throw on my blades. Gotta got get them blades. So I told him once at a Met party I was at, I said, hey, Damien. I just got a new pair of, of rollerblades and he started laughing hysterically. And I said, what are you laughing about? And he was just laughing too hard. And he said, oh, I can't say it. I said, are you laughing about a fat guy on rollerblades? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm laughing about. 
And I was just like, you know, Damien is, he's, how do I put it? He's the asshole that is the most lovely asshole on the planet. Just, I love the guy to death and because he's an asshole and everyone should have a friend like Damien that razzes you and just keeps you in line. And I'm lucky enough that he's not only my friend, but he's also just a phenomenal Tremont player. And it's just, it's just a, it's a great combo, you know, cause it's like, it, it feels so great to play with them and it feels great to hang out with them because we have a very similar sense of humor. Yeah. It makes me feel good that there's another principal trombonist of an opera that can't stop talking and, and making jokes during really serious moments. It makes me feel like less of an asshole, but like, I feel like we were talking about this earlier. Damien strikes me as one of those guys that sarcasm and, and, being kind of a dick to his friends is is his love language in a way the way he shows he cares about you and he likes you is being right. like that and it's a little bit like I, I hate to generalize but it's a little bit like new yorker you know oh yeah i i don't know i don't, I don't want to get too pontificating i suppose but yeah it's just like no one it, would ever accuse you of that don't worry oh see there you go that that, that is see? See, see Damien, Damien is laughing at this moment because you're razzing me and his favorite thing on, in the planet earth is to razz Nick Schwartz oh, good. for being, well, f- number one, for being fat, number two, for playing too loud because he, you know, he plays no louder than a mouse fart and I put some air through the horn like a goddamn gentleman. So, but no, 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 in all, in all seriousness, he downplays his work ethic in school. I mean, not, I, I, maybe not yeah. work ethic, but like, like his preparation, stuff like that. But I can tell you, like he does that still at the Met, like n- not, not saying he downplays his work ethic, but downplays his preparation and his abilities. But like, he is a person who is always there warming up properly before a show and always prepared for a show. Like he knows all the music. He's got all this shit together. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's the principal to most of the Met. So he downplays his stuff. Uh, and it's only funny because he can deliver so well. If he wasn't able to deliver, it would be like sad. You know? Right. Cause you can't, you can't, you can't be like that if, if you're not delivering. And, and we talked about it. There's a lot of pressure with a position like that. And we've gotten a chance to hang out with a lot of people in positions that classically are just considered very high profile where if someone sees your title, they're expecting a certain level of playing. And so sometimes you see these guys or girls, it's, it's, it's just a big amount of pressure and expectations. And it almost makes you feel like you either have to live up to this or you need to be not too arrogant because you don't want to come across the wrong way. But I mean, at the end of the day, man, you got that job because you deserve it and you're making beautiful music you know, at the end of the day. And he was, I loved how honest he was about, it's okay to complain. It doesn't mean I don't appreciate what I'm doing every day. It's like almost healthier to complain. You know, that that's really a cry for we can do better. That's not a complaint again, just a complaint to complain. Like it's, we did, we need to do better. We can do better. And, you know, I wanted to bring up like a couple of like really special moments I've had playing with Damien one was Cavalleria Rusticana. If you if you all don't know 
cover Rusticana. It has a couple of really technical... Eight- Wait, what's it called again? Cavalleria Rusticana. I thought you were going to go up with the last one. I go Rusticana. I, go- well, I, I, still, I still believe that to do a proper fake Italian accent, you have to take off the last syllable. So Rusticana. Oh, that, that's like so that's, that's New oh, Jersey. Shoot. That's New Jersey. It's like ah, you give me you give me the mozzarella, the mozzarella, the cavalleria rusican. So the he was doing the cavalleria rusican, and there are a couple of moments. This is one- what happens when we record our outro. Like it's like nine p.m. tonight, and we're releasing in the morning, just yep. fitting it in. Yeah, maybe maybe after happy hour, just slapping it in there. But anyhow, there there are a couple moments where it's either trombone and cornet or trombone and horn, these very lyrical lines that fit in with the choir. And Damien, it was just like, in some way, he was like a ghost. Like, uh, I can't describe it. Like, it just like, it fit in so well. It was like effervescent. It was just like, it was exactly what it should be. And when you listen to that, it's just, it's so beautiful and so fitting of the music. And I, we have a, we, Damien and myself have a very good personal friend, Brian Griffin, who, you know, sounds like the, the dog and family guy. Yes, I get, I, I understand that. Brian, who's a tenor in the choir, he, he talks about these solos. Like he hears them on stage and he's like, I didn't know the trombone could do that. Like that's how beautifully Damien can play is that singers on stage are coming to you and saying, wow, I didn't know the trombone could play like that. It's the most beautiful trombone. And you're ever. like, why not, idiot? <laughs> exactly. But like, that's how beautifully Damien plays. Like Damien, I mean, I wanted to find for you all the, the well, we say Hamlet, but in well, French. Well, look it up on the Met Opera player. Yeah, the Omelet. It's an amazing solo. Omelet. I mean, I, I just can't, it, like, if you're ever preparing for an opera audition, that is the golden standard. It just is. It's so spectacular. You know, there are other players that I think can do a great job of it, but that one's been recorded. And Damien also has such a gorgeous trombone sound. Like that's the way it goes. Like, and, and he is self-deprecating, but in a funny way and all this, but at the end of the day, he's a beautiful trombone player and he comes well-prepared. Like, what? I'm glad we said this now because he definitely wouldn't accept any compliments during the podcast. I will, I will fight back a little bit about his uh, get off my lawn approach to new opera. Yeah, and, oh, he hates new opera. Which you know we can't put every single new piece in one box. That's that's a little lazy. Come on, Damien. We we can we can we can do better than that, right? But Philip Glass. To to well to be to be fair, they do like one new opera a year. So like, how often how often has he experienced new opera? You know, that's really sad. If the Met is only doing one new opera a year, it's it's pretty freaking true. Yeah, that's that's one thing I'm ha- I'm proud of the Pittsburgh Opera. At yes, least two two yes. years ago, we had the highest percentage of works that we were putting on that that season that were new operas in the country. And some of them have, have gone on to be like major operas like that yeah, made the rounds, you know? Yeah, it's cool. And we're, we're going to, we're workshopping things and 
I want to defend Philip Glass because, you know, I understand Philip Glass is not for everyone and that is 100% fine. I particularly happen to love Philip Glass. Still, probably my best concert experience as a as an audience member that I've ever experienced was hearing Sadi Graha at the Met, which was his... Is, it, is uh, that the one about Gandhi? Yes, it's his right. opera about Gandhi. It's like, I don't remember, it's like five hours long and you you're just floating. You're floating. It felt like two hours. It was one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life. And the, the funny thing was at the very end, Philip Glass happened to be there. And it's like four or five hours. And he's there. He's sitting just a few rows in front of me. And so the opera comes to an end. It's this amazing closing. And in that few split seconds, after the music ends, before the applause starts, there's a man in in the very back row, kind of, in the upper tier. Boo! <laughs> Just like, and Phil Glass is right there, and I'm sure Phil Glass is like, n- <laughs> no stranger to that. It's just hilarious. It, like, bro, if you hated it this much, why did you sit there for five hours? Like, just leave. And everyone else is enjoying it, so... <laughs> I'm glad you got to have your moment where you got to protest being assaulted by by minimalism. But, I mean, anyways, it didn't ruin my experience. It actually, th- I thought it was hilarious. But you know what? Right now, I would take a whole audience of booing rather yes. than no audience at all. Oh, man. It's to, so have a form, to have a form, formed opinion, I mean, like, uh, that's why I love... First of all, that's what I love about New York audiences is like... You will hear booing sometimes in New York audiences. I've definitely heard it both in in all three ensembles in Lincoln Center. I've heard it in the ballet. I've heard it in the Met, and I've heard it in the Philharmonic. And that's why my dream is always to. And I've talked to singers who who have a similar dream is to sing at La Scala. I had a, a opera singer, a very good opera singer, tell me once that it would be a dream. It would be a, a mark in her career to be booed at La Scala in Italy because it's just sacred there. Right. You know? That would well, be so cool to experience that. And that's originally how it was. Well, this is how, this is what I tell my students. I'll tell them this. It's like, you can go into an audition and you can play however you want, but do not be forgettable. You should be awesome or terrible. In between is horrible. Well, I've done a very good job at that then. <laughs> me too. Me too. But like, I've got, I've been on the other side of auditions where you're playing or sorry, sorry, you're listening and you're going through your notes and you're saying number 24, I wrote maybe, and I don't remember anything about them, you know? And it's like, you better give an awesome performance or a terrible performance. But both of those come from the same place of Giving it your all. Yeah, basically <laughs> basically go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So in in my other my other Philip Glass well, I've had a few more Philip Glass experiences. I, I did a recording session w- once for him for this Australian wine commercial. And it was in true Philip Glass fashion. I showed up and the trombone part was rests for like eighty measures and then five measures of whole notes. <laughs> and then, then I was out and I got paid as much as everyone else, which was very good. And then we actually did a, a Philip Glass opera at the Pittsburgh Opera, um, Orfe, his his version of Orpheus. I think he wrote in the early 90s. It was only for one trumpet, one horn, one trombone, and, and strings and, and everything else. But he actually 
came and he came to our dress rehearsal and it's like 80 pages of long tones in the staff. Like I wouldn't even warm up for it because the entire opera is just a nice, peaceful warm up. And I, I know some people don't like that, but it wasn't that hard to concentrate and you, you just feel like you're floating and meditating the whole time. And so he's there and I got my buddy Chris Coletti to come sub. Uh, he was in the Canadian Brass at the time. Um, world-class trumpet player. So that was really cool. And we walk up to him afterwards. I think I still have a picture of him up on the on my Instagram. And he was, and I told him I was a trombone player. And he grabbed my arm with both both hands. He's like, oh, and he like shook it. He's like, oh, really nice to meet you. Are you playing it on a bass trombone? And I was like, uh, uh, nah, no, no, not quite. Well, because the bass trombone is the superior trombone. I mean, it says trombone on the part. It, it's very logical to play it on a bass trombone because it's pretty much just in the staff all the time. Um, and it worked fine. And it was fine. But it was just like the first thing you don't want to disappoint folk glass. And then he's like, you know, I used to play the bass trumpet in the marching band. Like, <laughs> what well, that's school not did... the next sentence I was expecting you yeah, to say. Yeah, what school but... did you go to? All right. Well, circling back around, Damien is just... I mean, he's a, <laughs> how do you describe? He's a, he's a crackerjack. That's what he is. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's, he's a lot of fun and he's such an amazing trombone player with one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard on the trombone. All right. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to leave a five-star review and a question, we will talk about it or a topic and we will talk about it on the podcast and give you a little shout out. Follow us at Trombone Retreat on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our new YouTube channel, and our website, tromboneretreat.com. Also, feel free to shoot us an email at tromboneretreat at gmail.com, as we always love hearing from you. You can also follow Nick at BassTrombone444 on Instagram, and me at js.vera on Instagram. Hit them socials. And as always, retreat yourself for Thanksgiving. Gosh, folks, I just hope everything comes together for you from the turkey to the potatoes. and You and everyone with you can come together and have a wonderful and happy big old Thanksgiving and a nice burp afterwards.